Rus Russo. Wow. That's why this company's in the shape it's in because of like this. The referee, thank goodness, has gone into the water to, to fish out the demon. We went that way, demon. We've 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 gone to new boundaries now. And Hogan, you big bald son of a bitch, kiss my ass. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Eric Landstrom, and today we're heading into our time machine down to Atlanta to check in on WCW here in July of 2000. And for this one, I've called in the big guns. Rory McNamara, you signed up for this. You might regret it. They made me do it. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and... Uh, Chris Lacey, when we were sketching out the rest of the year for WCW uh, all the way back in March, this was one where you made me add you to the list back then. So I'm assuming it's because of your, your huge Kiwi fandom, but we'll find out. That and, you know, there's a certain person that we know I love to hate. And there's also two people that I love on this show, this month's getting quite a bit of uh, airtime. So. And, you know, there might be a slight reference to that other, that other show that we do that I am an expert in. Two other volumes this month, or at least two other volumes, because I'm never sure what the other Chris's are going to throw your way. But what I do know is we'll have a volume in WWF and the fully loaded show and ECW with Heatwave. But for now, no rest for the weary, no time to waste. Another long show ahead of us. So let's start with the news. Chaos is the norm in Atlanta. Backstage turmoil abounds in WCW. Prior to Russo's return at Bash at the Beach, oh, we'll get there. The longtime production team of Craig Leathers and Annette Yothers were reassigned at Russo and Bischoff's insistence. This is where it gets good. In response, Yothers has threatened to spill the beans to Time Warner's HR department. About what? Hopefully we'll find out soon. At the same time, Many backstage were opposed to Russo's return, stating that things ran much smoother without Russo's constant day of changes. Russo blamed the top stars for waiting until the last minute to request changes to the format. Reports are also that WCW does not tell the announcers what many of the plans and swerves are, which may help explain the lackluster performances from Tony Schiavone and company in recent months. And reports continue that Goldberg is a malcontent backstage, even to the point of alienating his few remaining friends, including Conan, who called Bill a mark for himself on WCW late last month, or WCW Live late last month. Goldberg was said to be especially salty when asked to lose to Booker on Nitro. Scott Steiner and Terry Taylor had a heated exchange at Thunder the first week of the month, 
Scott threatened Terry with physical violence to the point Terry Taylor was hesitant to be on the same flight as Steiner later that night. Scott was upset at various production errors and that he was booked to lose to Mike Awesome. In response, Steiner was given a week-long paid suspension. That'll teach him. <laughs> Taylor also had confrontations with Buff Bagwell and Vito, both of whom are reported to be Russo guys and upset with Taylor's booking. Top stars benched. We'll get to this in a minute, but there are some rumblings that WCW has been uh, trying to cut ties with Hulk Hogan. Events this month would certainly lend credence to that rumor. Now, due to the lucrative deal Hogan signed in 1998, a four-year contract offered by Eric Bischoff, Hogan's earnings may represent as much of the as much as 10% of the $60 million WCW is on pace to lose this year. In fact, in the lead-up to Bash at the Beach, WCW elected to keep Hogan off TV to reportedly save $25,000 per appearance. Reports later in the month indicate that Brad Siegel, Russo's boss, is 100% on board with phasing out the older stars, even if that means eating the time remaining on their contracts. So that may include Hogan, Lex Luger, Scott Hall, and now even Scott Steiner. Nash and Sting are said to still be part of WCW's long-term plans, but my uh, my city mate Roddy Piper's deal was terminated a year early. So WCW may be making some changes. Bookers steal the show. Bash at the Beach took place on July 9th in Daytona Beach, Florida, in front of uh, emphasis on reported 6,572. Booker T closed the show, winning the world title from Jeff Jarrett. The tumultuous evening saw wins for Lieutenant Loco, Big Vito, Daphne, Chronic, Chris Canyon, Mike Awesome, Vampiro, Shane Douglas, yes, this is a pay-per-view, Hulk Hogan, technically maybe, and Goldberg. And as always, the omnipresent head of creative, Vince Russo, thrust himself into the limelight as well. Work, work, shoot, part work. Part shoot, shoot. Who the fuck knows anymore? They say I love having you on here because you always add a little color to these. They can get a little dry. <laughs> Many are left wondering if the events at Batch of the Beach, which we'll talk about concerning Hogan, Russo, and Jeff Jarrett are a work, a shoot, or both. Let's back up just for a little bit of context here. For those of you who are listening to the show but haven't watched the pay-per-view yet, basically what happened is we're not sure – but ultimately, Jeff Jarrett laid down for Hulk Hogan. Hogan counted the three. Russo came out and cut some type of work, shoot, shoot, work, work, shoot, who the fuck knows promo. Um, that apparently alienated Hogan. And then Booker T ended up winning the match, uh, a match over Jeff Jarrett to win the world title in an unannounced main event. Anyway, back to my notes here. Working backwards, the plan leading up to the show was always... Always, that's what is reported, always for Booker T to leave as world champion. Not announced, and he lost, but always were the plan. Reports are that Russo asked his creative staff who should be WCW champion, and Booker was the near-universal answer. Before then, Hogan was scheduled to win the world heavyweight title from Jarrett. But the Hogan-Jarrett match was then supposed to end with a Scott Steiner interference spot, which would lead to the Jeff Booker match as punishment for Jeff weaseling out of the Hogan match with a disqualification. Things turned, however, 
when Vince Russo revealed he had to Hogan in pre-show meetings that he had no plans for Hogan after the show. Apparently, Hogan then invoked his creative control card and forced WCW to put the belt on him. And then as the day progressed, and here we have working Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan, and newcomer John Laurinaitis as the intermediary between all the parties, it looks like. The plan was changed for Jeff to simply lay down and go into a full work shoot angle, which is what played out on TV. Reports are that Bischoff, uh, Bischoff feels Russo then undermine their plans um, by coming out later and cutting a promo which was planned but saying things that weren't planned, for example, calling Hogan a big, bald son of a bitch. So following the bash, Bischoff and Hogan both went home and Russo returned as head of creative in WCW. Russo, for his part, is telling everyone the events were not a work and that Hogan is demanding a release from his contract. I'm certain there will be more information on this topic in the months to come. WCW finally may be moving on from some of these top stars, not not necessarily Hogan, but talking about Luger, Scott Hall, Roddy Piper. What are your guys' thoughts? Rory? Uh, yay for Brad Siegel, I wrote down as you were going through the news there about that one. Um, some might say it's about damn time. I'm a little salty that Roddy Piper is gone because he would always offer nuisance value, if nothing else, as we move through the new millennium. No. Not if nothing else, nuisance value and nothing else. But I'm sorry to see him go. But many of the other names you mentioned there, with the possible exception of Scott Steiner, although I'm not as hot on him, and I use the word hot advisedly, as some others might be. Now, we've been pulling for this for about two years, possibly more than two years, and maybe, just maybe, it's coming to fruition. I also made another uh, couple of notes as you were going through those guys. I wrote, Yothers knows where the bodies are buried. I wrote, you've got to tell your announcers. I wrote, Goldberg at it again. This is a person who was so angry with contract negotiations last year, he changed his number and disconnected his phone so the office couldn't get into contact with him. And yeah, mm-hmm. he never liked her anyway. And also, Eric, one, a nice Freudian slip of yours at the end when you said Bisho. Oh, yeah, well, um, that's about the nicest thing I could call the uh, the two of them combined into one. But now, the form of them as an actual gestalt entity is enough to give me shivers. For now, it seems like the Bishop regime has, has ended, but who, who knows? Lacey, anything, or do we just want to go into the pay-per-view see, and hope for the best? See, I like the idea of them binning off the big names from the AEs that are on the big money. We all know that WCW is struggling a bit. The whole merger has not treated them well um, with the AOL and Time Warner stuff. Getting people like Hogan, obviously Savage has gone recently, be it Flair as well, could, you know, obviously wasn't named, but could be one of those ones that's probably on a big chunk of change. Luger's not been relevant since... 1989 get rid of that cunt he's going to be on a fucking big wad you know it is it's a sensible thing to do if you look at you know and obviously me being the guy that knows it obviously look at ecw they've made their name on being the people that bring in the young guys and do something new and new faces and new stars and that's obviously now bleeding into wcw with lance in a way with Douglas, with Awesome, 
where get these guys in they're not going to be honest they're not going to be anywhere near the sort of money that they the old fucks are on you know someone like scott hall is probably on the wages of lance shane and fucking mike all together yeah and isn't a giant fucking liability compared to you know that lot will all turn up to work be you know clean probably you know and be able to do a fucking job whereas with someone like paul a is he going to turn up b if he does turn up is he even going to be in a state to do fucking anything it makes sense to bin off these guys on big fucking money and push towards younger guys because they've got to get their overheads down obviously i've been speaking about it on ec dub with mergers tv deals and all this sort of stuff that's going on if you come in and look at wcw because obviously we all know that the aol merger they don't like having the wrestling show and the fact that ted no longer has as much power as he used to can't pull the bullets my company i want wrestling i'm having wrestling if you can do it on a lot less budget it makes it a little bit more appealing to keep on the air yeah, no, 100%. I forget whether it was last month or the month before, but at some point during this whole Bishow regime, uh, it's come up to where, you know, WCW almost needs to scale back and almost needs to not try to compete with the WWF because, like, it's it's not it's not going to happen right now. And, and scale back, run smaller buildings, trim the roster down, get rid of some of these top guys. Like, it doesn't matter if Lex Luger or Macho Man, it seems like Macho Man has been reported to go back to WWF for like three years, right? But like, it's not going to matter. Like, Macho Man going to the WWF for Luger or if Hall can get healthier, if Roddy Piper shows up to be like an interviewer or a commentator, God help us, or back, you know, whatever. Can the chasm between the companies get bigger because of that? No, like it's, it doesn't matter. So they have all these guys under contract who have name value, but apparently have no marketability and no ability to get WCW back on track. So trim the fat, cut the budget, you know, scale down, do a McMahon 94, 95, you know, run some, you know, small college gyms and, and, you know, wrestling looks so much better when you sell out a 3000 seat hall, as opposed to putting 3000 people inside a 10,000 seat building. Look at ECW for that. Exactly. Do that. And, 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 you know, give give your product a little bit of credibility and, and know that you're not going to do better than Raw for a while. I mean, Austin is frequently more injured, but now they have Rock and Triple H. And, like, my point is, Kane, like, every WWF has so many, like, contemporary stars. And WCW just needs to do that, too, but it takes time. And I, I'm really optimistic that they're doing this, but, like, there's just so much other shit happening backstage that, like... It, there, does this even matter, or is, is them is this just them trying to trim overhead to sell the company? Like, and because that's been reported the last couple of months too. So who knows? Um, but it, it's good. It's positive. Uh, putting the belt on Booker, giving him wins over some very established guys, keeping Goldberg kind of ancillary to the main event. Um, I think all good stuff. Uh, room for optimism. But WCW has given us room for optimism many times in the last couple of months and they never deliver so just quickly wcw need desperately now especially with rumors of the company possibly being possibly being sold they need to get their own house in order 
Problem is, uh, for about four or five people backstage, the house is already in very nice order. Thank you very much. It's them they need to try to convince. Exactly. Exactly. And that is much easier said than done. And yeah, and this, uh, I think, long term, this is exposing how Bischoff maybe. And I mean, this is a little bit off the rails, but how Bischoff maybe, as far as well as he caught lightning in a bottle for about a year and a half, how he was simply not qualified for the job that he got all the way back in like 1993, 94. And then he got more power of 95, 96, all the way to basically being the Vince McMahon equivalent of WCW there for a little while. And like, this guy's never been, never had the ability to manage talent. He's never had the ability. He, he doesn't book. He, he doesn't, I don't know what his role is. He's an intermediary between a television company and one of its subsidiaries, but that's not anyway. I think we're learning now that WCW is trying to hotshot things as much as they did in ninety in ninety four with Hogan all the way through to the NWO angle, which is basically mismanaged from day one, to be honest. All the way through now, it's like we're 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 seeing the ramifications of a company with absolutely no long term planning for the last six years. But it's time for Bash at the Beach. July 9, 2000, from Daytona Beach, Florida. The Ocean Center, a capacity of 9,000. Attendance, just over 6,500. I could not find a paid attendance for this, but based on recent WCW gates, it was probably around 4,000. So there you go. 4,000 paid in a 9,000 building. Does not look as good as 4,000 paid in the 3,800 seat building. Rory, do you have the results of the show? I will give you the results for this show from indeed, as you say, Daytona Beach, Florida, the Ocean Center, no less. The very same building where four years ago we had a bash at the beach that proved to be a fairly big deal in the grand scheme of things. And I suppose in many ways this is another kind of big deal, but we will break down for you (laughs) what kind of deal. And again, I chose that word advisedly as we get there. But the match results, so that they were so. Lieutenant Loco, or Lieutenant Loco, if you are from this neck of the woods, defeated Juventud Guerrero to retain the Cruiserweight Championship. Big Vito defeated Norman Smiley and Ralphus in a hardcore match for the hardcore title. Yes, you heard that correctly. Daphne supposedly beat Miss Hancock for the wedding gown match, but we either all won or all lost that one, depending on your point of view. Chronic defeated the perfect event for the WCW World Tag Team Championship. Chris Canyon defeated Booker T, remember that? Mike Awesome beat Scott Steiner by disqualification in a US title match. Vampiro beat The Demon in an aptly named graveyard match. Shane Douglas beat Buff Bagwell. For the record, Hollywood Hogan did defeat Jeff Jarrett for the World Heavyweight title. And you know that one's going in the record books, Terry, so (laughs) already ahead of the game on that one. Semi-main event, Goldberg defeated Kevin Nash. And in our main event, booked on the fly, both on screen and probably behind it as well, Booker T defeated Jeff Jarrett. Yes, because Jarrett was supposedly still the champion, despite the previous match. Are you following this? To become the world heavyweight champion. Weren't you listening to the news? That was always the plan. (laughs) Of course. Chris, what were your thoughts on this show? Not to, you know, shoot my load early, but as a pay-per-view, if it wasn't for the thing that we will discuss lots about, it's all rather fucking boring. 
if it wasn't for cuntbag and his super cuntbag moment and everything around that cuntbag moment this would be one of the most forgettable shows in history but this for living infamy because of the bullshit rory your thoughts I can't really add much more to Mr. Lacey there, plus the fact he gets his lips around the word cuntbag finer than I, and dare I say anybody else could ever hope to muster. But I am going to turn one of Lacey's old favourites back on him just briefly with the old boring bad interface. A lot of this was boring, but as I was prepared for bad, I squeezed boring with my little arms and just would not let it go until match nine kicked in and then i was all too happy to let it go but despite my best efforts i just can't i disagree with the two of you i think this was an overtly terrible show i think if you cut russo out of this you cut the whole angle out of it this is still one of the worst shows i have ever seen and we're outside and generic Asian music plays and the Jung Dragons come out and attack Cat. And this is how we get the pay-per-view started. And we go quickly to the ring. And yes, Lieutenant Loco uh, against Juventud Guerrera for the cruiserweight title. We're first to Conan and he cuts his regular promo and Hanger on Disco does his thing too. And the various factions are kicked out from ringside. That won't come into play. Chavo slaps Hoovy and Hoovy reverses with slaps of his own. Chavo hits an atomic drop and clotheslines Hooventude over the top rope. Chavo catches Hoovy and suplexes him to the outside, followed by a splash to the outside. Look good there. Hoovy recovers and pulls Chavo into the turnbuckle. And this is back and forth action that ends with a double clothesline. And to the outside, Chavo nails a top rope axe handle. The filthy animals sneak back to ringside wearing masks. Mark Madden plays dumb. Hooventude nails a slingshot guillotine leg drop to the floor. Ouch. And the animals retreat again. And on the outside, Hoovy works over Chavo back in the ring, and Hoovy's offense culminates in a sit-out powerbomb for a two. And Hoovy does his annoying rock ripoff elbow. And MIA come back to ringside in masks, and now it's Scott Hudson playing dumb. Uh, Major Guns distracts Hooventude, but the ref is distracted. So, of course, Chavo gets a two, not a three. And then a Hoovy driver out of nowhere gets a two when Chavo gets a foot on the rope. And then out of nowhere, Chavo gets a tornado DDT for the three. Chavo Guerrero, Lieutenant Loco, retains the cruiserweight title over Juventud Guerrero in 12.07. Lacey, your thoughts? Why is it when I saw Hoovy versus Chavo, I went, this has got to be good. Has to be. Must be good. And... All I got was half-paced lucha with this thing that I don't get about WCW, which I've noticed, and goes on sort of into the month as well. Why does everyone need to be in a group? Why? Why, why does there need to be these, these, these groups of people that serve no purpose and have no real reason to be together? Faction warfare, you know, pal. Fucking... Why is Van Hammer still here? What's that all about? Fuck off. You were shit in 92. You're still shitting out. Just fuck off. And that ruined to me because they had to play into all the group shit 
ruined what should have been a classic cruiserweight high-flying luchador match. These two have worked each other fucking hundreds of times. They should be able to pull out a fucking three-and-a-half, four-star match with their eyes closed, not even needing to break the fucking sweat. Yet, it was just ploddy and never really got going. And then, oh, we need to have this distraction. Oh, we need to have that. It's like, fuck off. Just let the wrestlers fucking wrestle. Let the wrestlers wrestle. Rory, do you agree? I do, but good luck with that. Um, a couple of quick <laughs> points before I go on, uh, just on things you've said. One there, Eric, I've got a question mark against this one. Mark Madden plays dumb. You're far too kind for your own good. <laughs> right, I'm trying to key favourite, brother. <laughs> and secondly, Chris could have ended it with, why is Van Hammer? That question would have been sufficient. Uh, this match... I don't think they were allowed to get going. There were two very heavy portions of distractions here yeah. with A, the filthy animals and B, the filthy animals with masks because that's going to convince anybody about anything. And I think they were just in third gear because they knew all that stuff was going on. You could switch and be hypercritical about this and because I'm just getting into the mood of things now, I'm going to be, that that is a problem with Lucha style in general, and that they're not entirely sure how to switch things up to satiate North American style. On the other hand, you could turn around and say they don't normally need to, which would be a fair retort, but I do think that was quite prevalent here, that they didn't really know how to slow the match down without making it become a bit of a plod, which is the one thing this style should never be. It had its moments. I thought the finishing sequence was pretty decent. It was rather tight, which in this particular element of wrestling can be rather loose, but seemed to be as snug as possible in there. Finish was a little bit out of nowhere, but by that point, I was quite happy for it to end where... I could just turn around and say, yeah, I get what they were going for here, but neither of them, and I, I'm rather pained to say that about Hoovy, because I'm a huge fan of his, really had the high idea of how to handle all the interference. But should the interference have been there in the first place? No, it shouldn't. But again, Booker's in control. Yeah. I was accused last month of maybe not taking a keen enough eye to some of the action going on on screen. And I blamed white noise, uh, everything happening in every match, in every segment. It becomes tough to follow. So I took to this pay-per-view with a keener eye than I've watched most shows lately. Really tried to dig in there and watch what was happening. And I got to tell you guys, this match was very sloppy. Um, I felt oh, like sloppy's later. This is nothing no. compared to well, later here's, on. Here's the thing. That's true. That's very true. But like sloppier does not negate sloppy. We'll get to sloppier. Um, this I felt I've always I've always kind of been the opposite of you, Rory. Like I've always felt like Hooven Guerrero's matches are I don't know, him with the mask off, it makes you realize how little of a shit that he seems to give about anything going on. So when he had the mask and when he was an undersized face, kind of like a Rey Mysterio Jr. light uh, type situation, you know, he was a, a plucky underdog who would come in, pick up wins, you know, against undercard guys. And, you know, he was always in the mix, but he was never really the top cruiserweight. But taking the mask off him, just 
he just looks like a dick and like he his stop his like mannerisms are completely derivative and you can just tell he doesn't give a shit and then his style is sloppy and so when you have someone who doesn't look like they're giving a shit and they fuck up constantly it's very distracting uh, a big fan of chavo i think chavo is one of the guys that you know he's definitely a, a a worker and that he can go out with pretty much anybody up and down the card and have a good match. He's right where he needs to be with this. But yeah, I, I thought aside from all the interference spots that we talked about, you guys covered that. I just thought when these guys tried to get something going, I think part of it was the interference, but part of it was they just, they, they did not click. And I don't know whether that's Hooventude. You know, we know from reading some of the news reports, we can't talk about everybody, but Hooventude's one of the guys that everybody, that a lot of people complain about being uh, less than enthusiastic to deal, uh, you know, in dealing with. So who knows? I did not think this was a very good match, aside from the interference. I was disappointed because it was so sloppy. And so in the back, the Young Dragons are back talking to the cat, and Jeff Jarrett comes to complain that Hulk Hogan isn't here, uh, and that his fat lady, who he brought to sing for Hogan, is going to go to waste. And hot, and then Scott Hudson talks up speculation that Hogan may not show at all. So we recap on Thunder. Vito attacked Terry Funk, who isn't here tonight. So instead, he cuts a tortured promo, and we get Norman Smiley and Ralphus here to replace Terry Funk against Big Vito in a match for the WCW Hardcore title. That's the old saying, (laughs) give them more than what they paid for. (laughs) Um, My notes for this match are very short. Uh, Vito cuts off Norman, and they brawl stage right. Quickly to the back, and they brawl with anything they can find. Norman hits the wiggle. Ralphus hits Vito with a trash can lid. They battle onto the service elevator. Norman takes the ride. Vito chases Ralphus to the ring. In the ring, Vito leathers Ralphus with a kendo stick or some sort of device. Maybe it was a, a stickball bat. Vito sets up a table, splashes Ralphus, and gets the three as Norman meanders back to the ring. Rory. Yeah, Norman Smiley and Ralphus for Terry Funk. That's the equivalent of not paying the rent and using the money to buy some magic beans. Uh, I'm surprised you managed to get as much out of the play-by-play you did there, Eric, doing God's work. Even I give my notoriously detailed note-for-note notes when doing these matches. I would have struggled there, so props to you, sir. I just want to talk about Ralphus here because Big B- who cares that Big Beto's hardcore champion? Well, he isn't anymore anyway. And Norman's still doing the same thing he was doing a year ago. Rory. Yes. Did you just say, I just want to talk about Ralphus? You heard me. <laughs> this, I, I told you I'm getting into the groove of negativity now. It's, Carry on. W- watch my score hurtling down match by match. I want to talk. I just want to say this. I want to defend him to a point. Okay. The Ralphus gag when Chris Jericho was around, is why is this fat, balding guy who doesn't speak, probably can't speak, more than likely for the best that he doesn't speak, why is he young, athletic, wannabe rock stars Chris Jericho's bodyguard? That was the gag. Here, under the current regime, is that this fat, balding guy who can't speak, possibly doesn't speak, most likely best never chooses to speak or elects to speak or is made to speak speak, is a contender for the hardcore title. (laughs) That's all I want to say about Ralphus. Are you saying that the Bisho regime, that's a thing now, um, that the Bisho regime has completely lost any sort of nuance or context for anything they do? Is that the allegation in a nutshell? I don't know. Who would think that? (laughs) The the prosecution rests. 
Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't. I wish I could. No. <laughs> I will. I will turn over now to the stalwart of hardcore wrestling in our in our little corner of the world here to talk about this match, Lacey. So first things first, never give Vito a fucking mic. He is probably one of the single worst promos I have ever fucking heard. Ralphus's lack of selling when getting hit with something that takes down a professional wrestler is a fucking joke. And if you're calling this hardcore wrestling, it's boring as fuck and should never be seen on a fucking TV. I would expect better from fucking kids in a training school than this shit. This match did not, or this pay-per-view did not, uh, was not a great advertisement for the power plant. We're just... We'll hold that one for later. Uh, in the back, Nash is with Gene Okerlund, and uh, Nash, trying his hardest to be serious, cuts a very snarky promo about how serious everything is. I uh, thought he just came across really fucking bored in that promo. Yes, agreed. He's cool, guys. He's the cool heel. Come on. His yeah, best he friends. Like he didn't want to fucking be there. His best friend's livelihood is on this is on the line. Um, just wait until we get. We'll, we'll get there. Just remember, this is the guy they kept because of his enthusiasm anyway <laughs> uh okay here we go uh it's daphne with uh crowbar against miss hancock with david flair in a wedding gown match similar no, let's short. call it what it is and do it in its proper style can't find, can't find, can't find. there's a cake ringside and david flair is out with miss hancock and Daphne's out in the black lacy thing, not saying anything. They attempt some wrestling. Soon enough, both the referee and David Flair are without pants. Crowbar comes out now and loses his pants in the ruckus. More shit happens. Hancock loses her pants. And cake is everywhere. And Daphne wins. And we all lose or win. I'm not sure. Lacey. See. This is my moment where I will divert to the commentary team for one of my biggest moments of being fucked off. Mark Madden is a cunt <laughs> with his fucking piss poor puns. What? Who? Who decided that he should be your commentator? You you know that. You know the answer to that question. Someone needs to be fucking initiatized for that shit. That's bollocks he's a cunt if he's being fed those lines whoever wrote those lines is a cunt die just fucking die already yeah we lost gordon Soley this month and um it's not looking good for wrestling commentary i'll just say that and uh, as for the match what was the fucking point well i think we all know the answer to that Rory. Did Gordon Soley die as a result of this match? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Check the timeline and prove me wrong. Was it a um, <laughs> There weren't many Sue plays on offer here, but there were. No, no I'm not going to carry on no. that joke. Um, she's already called Miss Hancock, for goodness sake. They already do a better job than I can. Yeah, just. David Flair. I, I want to talk about David Flair. <laughs> David Flair. I mean, just. Uh, there's a lot to be said about, I'm going yeah, to say, nominative determinism in a very literal sense here. No! 
Homer, that isn't very nice. Marge, try to understand. As a jock, it is my duty to give nerds a hard time. How does he get these gigs? How does he get these gigs the last year? Look who he has been on screen shacking up with. And now he gets the best, depending on your viewpoint, the best seat in the house for this uh-huh. first, ten, first uh-huh. 10 minutes uh-huh. are free. Um, <laughs> cake fest. Or so I've read. Careful, guys. My hit, my finger is hovering over the edit button. <laughs> I think we're just about. It's I should say just to shed some light on magic here. It's before the watershed here in the UK. It's still quarter to nine, so maybe I should tone it down just a little bit. But I didn't name a Miss Hancock, did I? Just, <laughs> just read the news, pal. <laughs> um, two years you, out of date. You didn't have anything more on that, Tony. They, they give us a recap of the formation of the NWO and basically remind us how much better things used to be. And uh, I, at this point, I noted that the crew was really struggling to clean up the amount of cake from the match before that never needed to happen. Never needed to happen is the theme. Oh, by the way, my thoughts in the last match just never needed to happen. Um, ever the theme. It's chronic. Adams and Clark versus Stasiak and Palumbo, a.k.a. the perfect event for the tag team titles i would like known that the very first note that i have is that i do not predict this will be a work rate classic let's see what happens lots of stalling to start adam throws palumbo over the top rope onto stasiak another two minutes pass before the heels get back into the ring clark and stasiak tie up stasiak gets the advantage with a cheap shot clark takes over with punches and chops Double team shoulder block puts Stasiak on the mat. Adams no sells Stasiak's offense and nails a full Nelson bomb on, on Palumbo. To the outside, Palumbo and Stasiak work over Adams and Clark. Work over Adams while Clark has the ref. Cake is everywhere. In the ring, Stasiak and Palumbo t- double team Adams and Palumbo with a top rope shoulder tackle. Uh, the heat on Adams goes forever and includes sleeper holds from both Palumbo and Stasiak. Not together, unfortunately. Adams breaks the hold and gets the mild tag on Clark. Palumbo escapes the meltdown and hits a DDT, and there's audible spot calling here. Stasiak misses a bunch of drop kicks that both Chronic guys sell. Uh, the heels then double-team Clark, for, and it's starting to fall apart. Stasiak and Palumbo have no idea what they're doing. A double flapjack gets a two for Stasiak. Adams hits a nothing for a two. I've now written this is quietly one of the worst matches I've ever seen. It happens fast. Chronic hits a high times, but it's broken up by Palumbo. Uh, I note that Clark just watches Palumbo uh, break up the pin. Chronic dodge a Lex Flexor attack and hit a Doomsday Device powerbomb-looking thing for the merciful three count. The announcers insult all, all of us by trying to tell us how great this match was. I'm going to go first on this one. Um, uh, like I said, I was accused of not keeping a keen enough eye to some of this in-ring action that's going on, so I watched this match very, very closely. I have to say... Go back and watch it. This was probably the cleanest match on the card. This was the this was the type of match where we just want two teams to go it out and and the and the faces pick up the win, right? Somehow this is still quietly one of the worst wrestling matches I have ever seen. Rory, your thoughts. And on the topic of nominative determinism, we come to Chronic. 
I am told by people who know these things that that is not why they are called chronic. It's slang for something else, but I prefer to take it in its more literal sense for what I would like to think reasons that are obvious. This was a dreadful professional wrestling match. I think it was last month before he jetted back off to uh, <laughs> jetted back off to Mexico. That's as we euphemistically call it for Mr. Bamba. You come up with that one, Eric. Oh, the, um, the, the WWF cruise. <laughs> That's probably a better way of putting it. That um, he confused uh, the team of Sean Stajak and Chuck Ballon by with, I believe, O'Hare and Jindrak. Yeah, the, the, yeah the, the, the crew of generic 6-7 guys that we talked about back in May. I can't say I blame him. He was clearly pining for the pining for the payala at that point. Um, uh, it just goes to show, you mentioned the power plant earlier, that just because you turn up the power plant on a Monday morning and by the end of that week you can just about walk up the steps and through the ropes without falling A over T that you're ready to be on television it's a sign of WCW panicking it's all very well and as I said earlier thank goodness that they are finally too late mate but finally trying to look to some sort of future but you've got to have that future created for you and putting people like Stasiak like Palumbo like O'Hare, like Jindrak on TV, who are nowhere near ready yet, and people like Adams and Clark, who have had and blown all of their multiple chances. Well, and, and have also been, also always been like so gimmicked up under the Vince McMahon system, and that hides so many flaws in work rate. Let's not forget about that, too. Yes, very true. I mean, there's a reason Adam Bomb was number 30 in the Rumble in 1994, for example. I pulled that one out of the hat. There and go. there's a reason why Crush kept getting, you know, in four guises, Crush existed, and I hated him at SummerSlam 90, and I hated him ever since. I didn't get off the right foot with him. But as you say, he was in the right positions, stuff like Gang Wars, Third Wheel in Demolition, stuff like that. Here, he was carrying this match for 15 minutes. Oh, my. Oh. <laughs> dreadful. Utterly dreadful. One of the worst, yeah, one of the worst professional wrestling matches I have ever and ever hope to see. It wasn't even grade level. It was a disaster, a perfect disaster, if you will. I, I saw Matt Bourne versus the Grappler uh, about a year and a half ago in a flea market in Northeast Portland in an area of town that nobody goes to unless you're going to see Matt Bourne versus the grappler in a flea market. <laughs> it was demonstrably better than this. Lacey, your thoughts. So first things first, these are my notes verbatim. Ooh, it's crushing Adam Bomb. Crush is losing his hairline. Whew, you know, chronic means weed. Ooh, I wish I had some. Chronic should never sell. They should be like the LOD. Oh my fuck, this is why they're not those missed spots. What the fuck are they doing? They're not even powering glory. Adam Bomb. Adam Bomb stumbling like fuck and oh that fuck up at the end. What the fuck? They're my words verbatim as of the notes that I wrote whilst watching that. This is a grade A clusterfuck that should be seen by everyone to see how not to do a fucking match. Every, every wrestling school should be make their pupils watch this and go this is what not to fucking do if you are having 
big guys and you want to make them big, powerful super monsters, which if you look at Crush and Adam Bomb, they should be. You know, they're that size. They should be all in power. Why are they selling to fucking nothing drop kicks and being put in fucking rest holds? It's basic 101. Create a fucking monster and make them demolish them. This is just training school level bad. Yes, I know Palumbo and Stasiak. Uh, I know obviously Stasiak was in the Fed for a little while as meat. Um, and that didn't last very long because he was a pervy little prick. Um, but seriously, I know I know you're all... The, the, two, the two of the guys are quote-unquote newbies in green, but fuck me. I'm pretty school some fucking training school kids could do better than this shit. Yeah, uh, well, you know who else would have looked really, really bad in a 13-minute match against two super green guys in a match that was booked to go, you know, 50-50? The Legion of Doom in 1987. Like, uh, the Road Warriors. Like, every month it comes up, and I, I try not to be a, you know, a guy and repeat with this, but they, they don't know how to put matches together. They don't know how to put... And again, it, the, the card does get better from here with respect to work rate uh, because there are three or four matches that aren't just a complete embarrassment that follow this. So that's 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 better for WCW. Um, but they don't know how to put teams together. I always I bring it up every month, but it was the 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 match from several months ago where it was Knobs versus three count in a hardcore match. It's, it's like you couldn't come up with a worse pairing to have a worse match. And yet they manage it every month. And, and, and this one's more subtle because you'd think, yeah, these are two big teams and they're good looking guys and they look like wrestlers. And, oh, you didn't that guy used to be crushed. And didn't that guy used to throw footballs into the crowd? And didn't Terry manage that guy for a while? You know what I'm saying? And yet you can't you can't put these four guys together, give them 13 minutes and say, OK, you're going to have a relatively clean 50-50 deal. Ironically, the one time they needed a whole bunch of shenanigans was in a match where they used almost none, and they gave them eight minutes longer than this thing possibly should have gone. So, uh, yes, all four of these guys deserve to come off of TV and come to Northeast Portland to work the undercard, but it's not completely their fault because they, I, I think, I think these four really wanted to have a good match. It was just never ever a possibility yes in execution one of the worst matches i've ever seen do i blame the guys not fully so we're in the back and more asian music plays and now jeff wants the cat to produce hulk hogan and now the dragons attack cat but it looks so fake i can't tell if they're really beating him up or not and we go right to chris canyon versus booker t Madden and Tony are both putting Booker over very strong to begin this match. I wonder why that would happen. And there are Booker T chants. Do you guys think those were piped in? They sure sounded piped in at times. Um, I hope not. I hope not, too. uh, But I did write it down. So anyway, uh, Booker writes Canyon with headlocks and rocks him with a spin kick. And Canyon's blonde wig takes flight. Canyon wins the lockup with a back elbow. And the Booker T chants come back in. Booker hits a huge drop kick. He rips the DDP shirt off Canyon and dumps him over the top rope. 
Booker grabs the book on the apron, the, the Positive Lee Canyon book, and, and dumps a brick out of it to the outside, and Booker puts Canyon into the rail. A top rope clothesline gets Booker a two. Back outside, a double reverse sees Booker hit the rail, and then Canyon slams Booker into the stairs before driving the steps into Booker's head with a chair. Ouch. And they tell the story of Canyon working over Booker's low back to neutralize all of his dynamic offense. Um, Canyon brings Booker in uh, over the apron with a second rope suplex for a two. That looked really nice. Canyon sucks chance, and I've written at this point, I can't tell whether these chants are piped in. But Booker heats up with a power slam for a two. Canyon snags Booker and delivers a sit-out Alabama slam-type variation. That looked good. And a reverse Boston cramp into a series of knee falls, near falls. Booker grabs a chair. The ref takes it. And this allows Canyon to hit Booker with the book, but with no brick inside of it. Uh, Booker recovers, gets a spin rooney axe kick, and a bookend, but for a two. Remember that. Canyon grabs the ref, which allows Jeff Jarrett to run down and nail Booker T with a guitar. Canyon cutter, and that seals the deal. Canyon over Booker T in 10-04. Lacey. So my first question is, are all matches in WCW now no DQ? Oh, okay, because yes. Let, let, let's let's stop right there. If you haven't been watching closely, they do slip in, and this started back in April or May, but they do slip in every once in a while. You listen for it now, you'll notice it. Tony does remind us of the quote-unquote relaxed rules. So... It's not that the matches are no disqualification. It's that disqualification doesn't happen in every match, even though it should. Does that make sense? No, because then later in this match, <laughs> yes no. the ref then takes the chair. Yes, but that was part so, of the finish. But if it is okay for him to use a chair on a set of stairs, yeah. then why is it then not okay for him to use a chair in the ring? Because that was the f- they needed a finish. I want some fucking logic. <laughs> well, you come to I the just, right place. <laughs> I, I I just want consistency. Either. Welcome to the NWA fair, 1989 wrestling podcast. All's fair, or it isn't. You can't have in the same match it be okay to use a chair mm-hmm. and it not to be okay to use a chair. Yeah. You, you can't have both. Pick one, motherfucker. Pick one. And fucking die on that hill. Not be meh about it. Fuck off. And in another fuck off, fuck off Double J. Um, it was, as a match, it was all right. That's about as much as you can say about it. It was all right. You know, other than my, you know, my big thing that has, you know, clearly fucked me off with the, you know, consistency. In ring, Canyon's, Canyon's a good hand. Booker's decent. It was all right. Rory, your thoughts on this match? Well, we are so doing an NWA 89 podcast now you've mentioned it. If it's positively Rory you want on that one, and just tune into every show. I might even have something nice to say about the Ding Dongs and Starcade 89. Let's not go crazy here. This match was... The Ding Dongs are supposed to be the exception to the rule. Not every segment on Nitro, though. <laughs> uh, you brought it home. The, the, the Ding Dongs weren't so bad after all. You know what? Now I'm pining for the Hunchbacks. I really wish we'd got those now. You couldn't, <laughs> I pin. Shouldn't... 
you Just, couldn't pin him. You know who's listening to this show, Eric. You know, it, this is a person who supposedly doesn't think pro well, who doesn't like what pro wrestling stood for in 1989. Could he update the Hunchbacks for 2000? You bet he bloody could. And I just know he's listening to this, especially as we are on the internet. This match was okay. It really was okay. These two have good chemistry against each other. They proved that on TV a couple of years ago. Uh, I mentioned those matches from 98 with good reason. My one problem I had with Chris Canyon then is sadly the same problem I have with him now. And that his moveset, he's got the proverbial good feet for a big man, but I still don't see much development from that moveset to be able to put it all together. As a six foot eight, 300 pound highlight reel, there are a few more compelling, but I don't think it's unfair in this day and age to ask for more. I do think there's somebody coming up on this show very, very shortly who has squared that circle. But Canyon still, he's still got enough, but he hasn't kicked on for me in my liking. I don't mind his DDP imitation gimmick. They say that those sorts of very literal sense again gimmicks a la the big show a few months ago represent the living embodiment of creative has got nothing for you pal but he's making a decent fist of it knowing what we know now jobbing booker here interference or uh, interference weaponry or not mm. letting the book end be kicked out of yeah. <laughs> At the time, I was rather concerned about those two things happening. Was I the only person who remembered them 90 minutes later? I think we might be about to find out, but not what I would have done. That's WCW in a nutshell. But a decent 10-minute contest here at just the time we really needed one. Otherwise, it was me going postal. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I thought, I thought this was a pretty good match. Maybe the best overall match on the card. I don't know. There, there were a couple... We got a couple decent in-ring contests tonight, despite our very rocky start. Um, I think that this kind of match kind of represents overthinking it and how everything kind of has to be a swerve on a swerve. Um, what's wrong with Booker just dodging the book with the brick in it and then hitting his finisher and getting the three in the same amount of time with Canyon getting the same amount of offense and, you know, Canyon, like this, this outcome doesn't help anybody because Canyon needed Jarrett to win, and then or Booker would have won. So everybody knows that Canyon couldn't beat Booker if it wasn't for Jarrett, but Canyon gets the win anyway. So it doesn't, so it hurts Booker because he loses, but it doesn't help Canyon. So I think there were a lot, and especially if Booker were, were to then have a competitive match with Canyon, and barely wins, and then goes and wins a world title later in the night, it gets you thinking, well, Canyon held with the world champ for 10 minutes. You know, he's not nothing, but here he needs. Twat Jarrett to come down and, and do the guitar uh, spot at the time for no reason um, because Canyon and Jarrett aren't demonstrably you know affiliated on screen in any meaningful way. Canyon's gimmick is a derivative of DDP. DDP and Jarrett haven't really had that much action since the Arquette shit was going on. So um, I don't understand the context of the interference spot didn't make any sense. Until later, maybe it represented that they did, in fact, know they were going to put the belt on Booker, at least by this point. But 
I don't know. It, it was just weird. And then the thing that really drove me crazy, another subtle thing, uh, you know, kicking out of the bookend. And then that being, spoiler alert, what wins Book of the World title in about an hour and a half. So um, it just uh, buried Jarrett, too. Um, all of it does. And so, yeah, I think this is an example of a good match. Uh, but the booking uh, was not something they could have tripped over or have avoided tripping over. So, yeah, we're on the same page there. Yeah. Who's the chosen one now? Right. Well, and, and like, and then, so, and then Booker just goes on this incredible win streak and we'll talk about it after the pay-per-view, but loses the Canyon and then beats Goldberg. That, that represents no forethought whatsoever. In the back, Mike Awesome is flirting with Jeff Jarrett's fat lady before he comes out to ringside to take on Scott Steiner for the U S title. Scott's out first actually. And, and, and I just wrote this down. I think Scott's entrance might be the best in wrestling right now. Just my opinion. And Scott jumps Mike as Mike comes to ringside. They're immediately in the crowd and they're canvassing the seats in the foyer. Mike slams Scott to the concrete. Scott uh, takes over as we return to ringside. And we're finally in the ring so Scott can nail Mike with a clothesline. Mike counters with a corner charge with a boot, but Scott catches him on the top rope. Over the head, belly to belly from the second rope gets Scott a two. That looked good. Mike blocks a suplex and drops Scott belly first on the top rope. Scott rolls outside and Mike nails him with an elbow from the apron. Mike has a chair that doesn't fold and nails Scott in the gut. Mike grabs the bell, uh, the bell and nails Scott right in front of the referee. And Lacey Everett in here, no disqualification. <laughs> Mike now has a chair and he's nailing Scott. Tony reminds us of the relaxed rules. There you go. Mike nails Scott uh, with a slingshot splash for a two. This is a fast-paced match for two guys this size. Top rope clothesline gets Mike a two. And now the cat meanders down to ringside because, of course, Mike barely gets uh, over for an overhead belly to belly that looked really tight. Cat grabs a mic and tells Scott not to the to cinch in the recliner. On the distraction, Mike takes over and gets a two with a big splash. And Scott counters an awesome bomb with elbows and the ref goes down in the melee. Cat comes in, but he nails awesome by mistake. And a belly to belly to set up the recliner again. And Cat grabs the mic again. Scott locks in the recliner, and the cat says he's stripping Scott of the title. Scott takes Cat out in the aisleway, and back in the ring, he clobbers Mike and poses for the crowd. So Mike Awesome defeats Scott Steiner, maybe for the U.S. title, maybe not, on the cat stoppage in 909. Rory. So the camel clutch is an outlawed move now? What's the Steiner recliner? The camel clutch. <laughs> I'm trying to defend Bob Backlund, 94 here. Work with me. Anyway, he might have had a case after all. <laughs> I think we finally cracked it. Mike Awesome, that's the fella I was alluding to five minutes ago. If you hadn't already worked it out, I'm, I'm both sure and hope that you did. This guy has got it. He's got the look, and I mean the look. He's got the moves. He's got the movement. He's got the mic work well enough. Nothing spectacular, but does what he needs to. Can put it all together. And did I say he's got the look? I am rather surprised that he hasn't received any overtures from the good north. When you see some of the guys up there who are getting a bit of a run. When this fella, 
looks the part and has many other things at his disposal besides. Steiner, a perfect opponent for him. They threw down big time here. Bomb after bomb after bomb, which, as you say, Eric, showed no real signs of abating, which is some going, especially for Steiner, who likes to cool things down a little bit, at least in the ring during <laughs> matches, if nowhere else. He's got to do it somewhere, right? And just as it was really cooking, we had the stupid cat nonsense. Again, cat is having a go, but it's another square peg in a round hole. He shouldn't be the fucking on-screen commissioner, for goodness sake. It's like having Rey Mysterio try to impersonate Billy Kidman on the Nitro beforehand. Nobody has done those things before. For very fucking obvious reasons. The cat isn't a commissioner. Oh, and he's trying to uphold this nonsense with the camel clutch. Oh, it's all so silly. A shame because I really enjoyed the nine minutes. and Nine minutes exactly if you take out the ten seconds of nonsense. And we all know where this leads to for awesome. But I'm still holding out hope for him. <laughs> I just I just can't quite let it all go, but uh, I really should, but I can't quite because oh, he's awesome, isn't he? Well, yes, you, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you did watch the TVs though, right? I I, I did I did so, watch the TV. I, I think we're going to be discussing them. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, Lacey, the former world champion of the promotion that you know the best. Um, what are your thoughts on this match and, and kind of, you know, how Mike Austin's been treated before he takes an interesting turn in a couple of weeks? See, at the beginning of this, uh, it's just, it was just filling me with ECW vibes. Fighting into the crowd, using weapons, just battering the shit out of each other. Awesome showing why he's... No, he, he, I was going to say why he's arguably... No, he is the best big man in America right now. And then James Brown wannabe comes out, <laughs> fucks everything, gives us a bullshit finish to what was I'm gonna gonna shoot a spoiler here, the best match of the night. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I really like this match. And I think I think the quality of this match could have survived some of that bullshit at the end. But it was just too much and convoluted. And uh, it was one of those things where I couldn't tell if they were just repeating the spot because somebody messed up or if they had to go back to it. Not sure. Um, this was Scott Steiner's best match in a while. I mean, he's been he's been killing it, really. His in-ring work is good for what it is now. It's a certain style. His gimmick is awesome. I would not want to deal with him uh, between you know him coming in and out of the ring. That sounds like a damn nightmare. But in the ring, with his presentation, with these matches he's having with Mike Awesome and some of these other guys, um, Hugh Morris a couple months back, like good, hard-hitting, nine-minute, just big-man matches, lots of suplexes, good stuff. And yeah, Mike Awesome, what more can you say about the guy? We say it every month. When's it going to happen for this guy? And I'm sad to say it doesn't look like it's going to anytime soon. But that doesn't prevent him from coming in and still having really, really good matches against guys up and down the card. Uh, he has a, He's had Natch's best match in a while. Steiner's best match here. He had a really good match with Lance Storm on Nitro that we'll talk about or at least mention. Um, but yeah, uh, Mike Awesome, Scott Steiner, good pairing here um, and good match. Bullshit finish aside, probably the best thing on the night. Just say like the cat is more Errol Brown than James Brown. <laughs> and I don't believe in miracles. 
And uh, let's take a turn and go to the graveyard. It's a cinematic, commentated something. I'm not sure what this is. This is like a postmodern match in a graveyard with commentary. And it's the demon in Asia and Charles Robinson. Asia, stay back. No, I'm going with you. Fine. Charles, you watch out for her. Okay. And they're looking for Vampiro until Vampiro jumps out of a tree to attack Dale. And there's a flashlight. That's our only source of lighting. And Vampiro nails a series of kicks to drop Dale. And Asia comes over and nails Vamp and Dale takes over. And we're kind of just meandering around a graveyard here. Uh, Vampiro drags Dale into an open grave. And Tony Schiavone is really trying to sell this. Vampiro then kidnaps Asia and takes off. Dale escapes the grave and gives chase. Dale finds Asia near a creek. Vampiro emerges from the water and drags Dale into the creek. Tony Schiavone. This is Florida. There could be alligators in there. What happened? There's Asia. Oh, thank God. Come on, baby. What happened? What did he do? Oh, wait. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Vampiro was waiting for him. This is Florida. There could be alligators in that water somewhere. There could be anything in that water. He came out of the water like an alligator, didn't he? Vampiro's going to try to drown him. Vampiro grabs Asia, and Tony wonders if Dale drowned. Tony. The referee has gone into the water to fish out the demon. Dale gives chase again. Tony says we're not sure how far the graveyard is from the arena. Quote, it could be miles. Asia is now sitting in distress next to a closed coffin that Vampiro is definitely not going to pop out of and attack Dale. And then Vampiro pops out of that coffin and nails dead with the red mist. Vampiro asks Dale to join him, and suddenly Vampiro takes part of a tombstone and nails Dale, and it explodes. Vampiro puts Dale in a coffin and rolls it into a grave. He throws a torch into the grave and saunters away. We'll pick up on this in a little while. We're back with Gene and Shane Douglas, and Shane guarantees he'll defeat Buff, and there's a promo to be Goldberg, heel Goldberg's guest manager, even though he's a heel. And it's Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell. Buff tries to start a franchise sucks chant. They jaw in the middle of the ring. You might call it stalling. Buff opens with fists and a shoulder tackle to the outside. Buff sends Shane into the railing. Shane goes low to take advantage, and he sends Buff into the rail. Madden correctly agrees this match won't look like Thez versus O'Connor. Shane pulls back the mats and reveals gobs of cake. Buff uh, reverses a pile driver attempt. Back in the ring, Buff hits a neckbreaker and Shane immediately bails. In the ring, Shane hits a perfect neckbreaker and works over the neck. Tori Wilson comes to ringside to add three stars and grabs Shane's eye. She slaps Shane and Buff rolls up Shane for a two. Buff goes to work on Shane and gets a two after a Vader bomb. Pittsburgh plunge, but Buff kicks out at two. Around this time, Tori and Buff make out before she nails Buff in the balls. That's where the Pittsburgh plunge comes in, but of course Buff kicks out at two. Buff recovers and tries for a blockbuster. On the distraction from Tori, Shane nails a front jawbreaker thing and gets the three with an awkward roll-up. Tori and uh, Shane get sexy. Madden. It looks like Shane has found a head cheerleader. Chris Lacey. Yeah, um, I don't get 
why obviously they need to basically do what they did beforehand. Um, obviously, we know Tory will never be Francine. But the one thing that I have, which is a massive issue with this match, and it's something that has fucked me off with lots of other people with lots of other matches. Your rivals that fucking hate each other, so you let them come in and jaunt around and have their entrance and do poses and get a crowd reaction. Fuck off. Start punching each other in the fucking face. Though this match was just fucking boring, really. Uh, yeah. If you're going to steal from ECW, just say that's what you're doing. Anyway, uh, Rory, your thoughts on this. And um, Shane Douglas is somebody that uh, you may have some opinions on. <laughs> You've got me started. There we go. Just drop yourselves in, guys. We didn't want this podcast to go over three hours, but if we get below six now with me talking about Douglas, we've done well. No, I'll try to be brief. I have no love whatsoever for Shane Douglas. I think it says quite a lot that the most laudable thing I can attach to his name over the seven years we've been doing this was his commentary during Heatwave 98. And that we missed the dynamic dudes by four years. See what I mean about doing an NWA 89 show? I'm going to hey, enjoy that one. Laurenitis Lauren is bumping around backstage too. Oh, now this is... Now a 2000 upgrade is what we're looking for. Because if you think the Douglas, oh, just you, please let, let that happen. Just once, just once. Even on Thunder, I'll watch it so I can critique it. Uh, that would be the word. Douglas has gained weight. He's lost in ring ability, such that he had it before. And a couple of weeks later on, he lost something else as well. Oh, 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 oh. oh sorry, I'll pick, that. I'll pick up on that later. This match, though, Buff did his best. I'm not going to... Well, whenever I mention Buff Bagwell, there's always that thought at the back of my mind about the 10-minute tete-a-tete that you and Bob Colling had. Do you, oh, we'll as, do, you, do you remember that one as fondly as I do? I, oh, you do. I, I, I have I have some updated thoughts. <laughs> Get Bob on the line. I'll make a cup of tea for those 10 minutes. Uh, he was OK in this match. Uh, Douglas had to go over because, of course, he did. I suppose the way the storyline was going, Douglas needed to win. But, you know, <laughs> his Pittsburgh plunge looked awful and horribly unsafe. And what is that new finisher of his about, by the way? Now, it reminded me of when the good lady and I go to the supermarket and unload the car. Of course, I always think that I can carry one extra bag into the kitchen, but that bag, of course, invariably ends up dropped onto my foot, and there's pasta sauce at best all over the kitchen floor. That is what his finisher is. Or it's just an atomic drop. Either way you want to look at it. Or inverted atomic drop. I'm sorry. Uh, and Shane Douglas, Shane Douglas gets to walk away at the end with Tory Wilson. That, my friend, is why the have-nots must be so bitter. He's found a new head cheerleader. It, it's now where I would like to say that I no longer think Buff Bagwell is going to be part of the fabric of WC, the, the, the <laughs> successful turnaround and essential fabric of WCW. We, we got there. We got there. <laughs> uh, it took about a year. Not long. Not long. Yeah, just two guys that 
I don't understand. I don't remember much of this match. I wrote notes for it. Um, neither of these guys are people that I tune in to watch, and I tend to find myself drifting or grabbing a drink or whatever when either of these two are on. Shane's good, I guess, but he should 100% be a talker and wrestle occasionally. I mean, he could. He this is the one guy who should be in a faction who's not. Yeah, putting Tori with him is strange. Hasn't really been all that well explained. Just looking at him, you wouldn't think, oh, yeah, I get that. I mean, the thing about the Francine and Shane Douglas pairing was they, they kind of mashed. It was kind of that gritty Philadelphia East Coast thing. Like, Troy Wilson does not does not have grit. <laughs> Troy Wilson does not have edge. Troy Wilson does not have, you know, you don't want to, you, you can zoom in real close on Troy Wilson. Don't try that with Francine, I guess is what I'm saying. And that was a good pairing. And this is a remarkably head-scratching pairing. I, I don't know. Although I did read in the torch that Billy Kidman is just thrilled that they didn't pair it with Hulk Hogan, so he's going along with it. Uh, this match was forgettable. It, had it been on another show, we may be talking about how piss poor it was, but really it just kind of sunk into the malaise of what the show was all about. After much anticipation, Hollywood Hogan is here. Jeff Jarrett is in, is in the back with Gene, and Jeff says, Plan A is in effect. And we go to Michael Buffer. He's here to announce the WCW World Heavyweight title match between Hulk Hogan and the champion Jeff Jarrett. $60 million deficit projected for this year. But Michael Buffer's here. And it's the champion Jeff Jarrett out first, and he takes forever to come out. Madden finally asks, where's Jarrett? But instead, it's Vince Russo looking determined, followed by Jeff Jarrett, who panders to his fan club leader, Mark Madden. Hogan's music hits, and he takes forever, too. And at this point, guys, all this stalling kind of gave this match a big fight feel. Mm -hmm. Um, It took them so long to get to the ring, I was actually curious to see the match. And then Hogan grabs the mic and said he's going to kick Jeff's ass. And by this point, Jeff is at the top of the ramp. A big pay-per-view payday. What's Jeff doing? Wait a minute. What's Jeff doing? Is it Halloween Havoc all over again? Russo's coming. Russo. Russo, I think, told Jared to lie down. What's going on? Look at Russo is holding the belt up. Like, do you want the belt? Pin the man. Jared's down. I don't. I, and Hogan is as shocked as what we are. in the world, Jeff Jarrett? This can't be Jeff Jarrett, a man that grew up in this sport. Well, is there, what is going on? They just threw the little title into Hulk. The Hulk. What the? Now Russo. This is. I think we're deviating from the from the norm here. I hesitate to say that, but what the is going on? I don't think Hogan had any idea what was going on. Yeah, Hogan. Man, I don't. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know if Hulk Hogan. Hogan has asked for another microphone. I think he wants to talk again. So fans, uh, we apologize. Russo, what a what a return! Is this your deal, Russo? Wow, that's why this company's in the shape it's in because of like this. Wow! My God, this is real life. One, two, three. Jeff saunters down, and when the bell finally rings, Jeff lays down, and Russo has the belt at ringside. 
Russo throws the belt to Hogan and walks out. Madden says we've deviated from the script. Hogan stands perplexed and asks for a mic. Hogan puts his foot on Jeff for the three. Jeff gets up and walks out. Tony Schiavone, what we have seen is a slice of real life. There are swerves and there are swerves. We've all been swerved. Lacey. Remember when we all said that the finger poke of doom was the single worst thing in wrestling history? Cunt Russo has managed to top that with this shit. Fuck's sake. Russo, obviously we will we will go on to a diatribe on shithead soon. But you come in, obviously there's massive stalling, there's like, oh, tension. First thing that got my into was, why is the title match on early? Should this not go last? Yeah, there was like there That's, was over an hour of of of, of show, show time before this went on. Yeah, and I was like, I know Nash and Goldberg is a couple of you know big boys doing big things, but still, your world title match going on with over an hour of the show left. There was slight alarm bells going at that point, and then that happened, and I was like, what the actual fuck? Do do. Do you want people to even care anymore? Because you see this, and it is the ultimate point of, well, if they can't be fucked, why the fuck should I be fucked? It it makes no fucking sense. And then, just to go into what happens after that, you then get Hogan giving it the... I know this place is going to go down at shit because of you, Russo. Rah, rah. I'm like, are we watching something that, you know, should have been done backstage, you know, in a room somewhere, not in front of your paying pay-per-view audience? Well, because and, if and, and, I have paid 45 dollars around that's what it is in the states over here it's about a tenner to buy this and i see that and i see what they've just done i am never giving wcw any of my money ever again well how many times have we said that though um uh, rory jump in here yeah, yeah, <laughs> with both feet. Um, so the best I could put forward at this stage before we got what we got were the flashbacks, the thousand yard stare, the I can't talk to you about that, son, dumb, of <laughs> Halloween Havoc 1999, where we had the whole Hogan and Sting Farago. Not dissimilar to this, just happened, as coincidence would have it, to be Vince Russo's first pay-per-view in charge, he says with a shrug. And here we are again. I was actually on that show, have it not at 99, presenting that with Billy Johnson and poor old Daniel DeWitt with quite the baptism of fire. And because we managed to get 20 minutes worth of discussion, 
out of that and the subsequent therapy sessions I put myself in for, I just thought, here we go again. So I can't say I despised it. I mean, I did, but I can't say I did because I had been there before. But then I realised many other pay-per-view buyers had still been there before. And indeed, Eric, people who said they would never go there, went there again right. by, by the grace of God and all that. We are the marks after all, are we not? <laughs> this we will make, big inverted commas, we will make sense of all of this a bit later on. But at this stage, the only alarm bells that were ringing, and they're not inconsiderable ones, they make me bolt out of the front door, leaving the cats behind, were the fact that I thought we were going to get Goldberg and Nash in a Broadway. Small mercies? You know, there's not... Every every card can't be for everybody, Rory. Um, what? <laughs> At this, okay, I'm going to take this in order because you're right. We will talk about this in the fallout quite a bit later. So I just want to talk about this in the context of this happening at this point in this show. Okay, it's Russo. I'm not surprised. Let's see where this goes. It's probably going to be bad. Um, that was kind of my reaction. It was definitely like, oh, I'm part of like 3% of WCW's audience that understands pretty much everything that he's saying and context for it and like, Think of the amount of research we do for this show to know what he's talking about and to think that's the audience that he's trying to appeal to. I don't know about that. But in the context of the show, at the time it happened, right now, where we are in real time, I just thought this was another shitty Russo thing that was going to go nowhere and bury everybody. I was right, but I didn't think I was going to be that right. (laughs) All too right. Right. So... Let's pick it up from there. Vampiro's music hits. Oh, boy. He says the dark circle has now been completed and the demon is dead. Vamp says he took care of Dale Torborg and Sting. Wondering about uh, Steve Borden, though. Uh. A bunch of guys in cloaks ferry a coffin to ringside. Vampiro says he finished Sting. Madden says Sting was in the hospital for burns. But now we wonder if Sting's here. And at this point, the lights flicker and we see Vampiro getting into a coffin. The lights fade and when they come back, Vampiro was unconscious in the coffin. And at this point, Tony declares Vampiro the winner of the graveyard match. So Rory, graveyard match through this closing segment. Not quite the Hollywood backlog brawl, I'm afraid. Oh, that's exactly where I was going with this. He's reading my mind now as well as Landstrom. Oh, my goodness me. Sleep with one eye open or maybe with both. If you're going to do something like this, well, one kindly word of advice, don't. But if you're going to ignore me, just ramp up the camp. The problem I had with this is they shot it too well. They had cameras dotted everywhere. The picture quality was fine. They had fucking... Charles Robinson refereeing the thing, watching out for alligators. Uh, if you're going to do it, black and white grainy picture. Uh, wheel in poison smoke machine from 1990. Really go to town on it if you're going to get cinematic. Uh, it was all too clean and 
regardless of Vampiro's mumbo jumbo at the end, it was yet another of the litany of Russo issues. It's so easy to turn <laughs> to turn your eye on him. I don't guide it anywhere else these days because his problem is that the existence of these things is enough. Vampiro Demon, yeah, let's do a graveyard match. There's no real thought behind it, no real positioning as a part of it, no storyboarding, which you would get a couple of thousand miles up north. It's really just a graveyard match for the sake of it. It was made on Nitro six days before, for goodness sake. And there was no planning. As I said, the editing was, well, the editing was actually quite good. And that's part of the problem. It didn't feel like I was there and suspension of disbelief was impossible. But I will say this, when the demon was being burnt, supposedly being burnt in the coffin, I would have given anything to trade places with him. Reason to live, indeed. Before I throw to Lacey, I just want to revisit some of these Tony Schiavone quotes from this match. (laughs) The referee has gone into the water to fish out the demon. (laughs) Bless him. This is Florida. There could be alligators in there, in reference to the riverbed they were fighting in. Chris. See, you know, the the, the the little goth in me loves Vampiro because he's a goth too. I was like, oh, graveyard match, awesome. And then it went, the way to win is go back to the arena. And I'm thinking, no, if you're doing a graveyard match, just have it in the graveyard. So I was already going, this is going to be bullshit with the way that to way to win the match you know have it as a buried alive thing you know chuck them in a grave do the finish that they had where they burnt the coffin done thank you very much end of and i will take that and go that is artistic thinking out of the box sports entertainment because it's entertainment to have the shit to do it to come back and it was just like why it makes no sense the fact that when he's coming back in you see him walk past Hogan <laughs> is just <laughs> fucking amazing you got Hogan with a massive fucking cob on walking out as Vampiro <laughs> just walks through and then why why did he then he does the promo and then gets in the coffin and pretends to be what I think they weren't supposed to film him getting in. I think the lights were supposed to flicker and come back up, and Vampira's gone from being up and virile and able to being in the coffin. And they just shot it completely wrong. It's just uh, what could have been passable becomes a farce. Um, Though we did get to hear Seek and Destroy, so, you know, swings and roundabouts. Well, we're all looking for morsels here and there. Um, on the initial segment, uh, I just, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. If the Chronic Perfect event was one of the worst matches I've ever seen on a wrestling show, and it was, for its own little unique ways, this 
is one of the worst things I've ever seen on a wrestling show. I don't want a guy jumping out of a tree to attack somebody in a graveyard and then be lit on fire and then battle in a swamp-filled pond. And like this, I don't watch wrestling to watch movies. I watch movies to watch movies. When wrestling does movies, the movies are shitty. And when movies do hey. wrestling, the wrestling is shitty. So no let's just keep, is a classic. Let's just keep, uh, yeah, shout out Zahorian. Let's just keep, um, <laughs> let's just keep movies and wrestling apart, okay? And then everybody will be fine. But I don't want to watch a bunch of second-rate wrestling producers who are trying to be creative with a guy who apparently has no filter on his creative mindset in Vampiro, just doing the weirdest, least palatable for my personal taste, like. I don't want any of this shit. Get the supernatural out of here. Like, The Undertaker's once in a while is enough for me. And even that's become a little bit obscene at times. But this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. The entire purpose... Okay, you know what? Whatever. Then we go back to the arena. We go back to the arena. And then it's just a, a, another thing we've seen a million times where Vampiro's out to do weird shit. And then... Why is he in the coffin? Why is he the winner? None of this was thought out. None of this was planned. There's nobody telling this guy no. He's not that good of a wrestler. He's not that good of a talker. His gimmick is different, but even that, it's derivative of everything else. I mean, shit, by the end of the month, there's six dudes on face paint in, in a faction feuding with another guy in face paint. So nothing about him... It should elicit the amount of creative control and freedom and just absolute license to do all this horrible shit. No, I don't want this anywhere near it. This was the worst thing on the night, if not for what's immediately to follow it. But See, first, this, this is where I, I do have to, you know, I I will say I do enjoy Vampiro's matches. I think his style in ring, which is better later in the month with the stuff with him and Muta that we see. I I like him in the ring. I I, I don't see. I, yeah, maybe it's because he had the misfits with him is why there's just a, a thing there. But I I have a soft spot for Vampiro. Is it because he looks like Jonathan Davis? That's the real <laughs> reason, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> just there sitting here in a Rodman jersey does not make everything happy about new metal. <laughs> they're pairing him with everybody that we like they're pairing him with the misfits they're pairing him with sting like they're you know and he, i think when he's paired with somebody it's fine but he's just such a derivative like gimmick and i don't get it and i'm i'm happy to see him sl- barreling towards the lower mid card at the close of the month and then he's gonna fight sting again somehow so that feud will never end even though vampiro's stock just continues to plummet I don't make the rules. Uh, Goldberg says stuff and he's pissed off and he wants to make Nash suffer. Better promo than Nash's, but Goldie is way out of place as a vengeful heel. Okay. Vince Russo's back and he's in the ring. Scott Hudson. That's not Vince Russo, the character. That's Vince Russo, the boss. Russo says he's going to tell it like it is. Real life here, fans. More real than I thought it would Three be Three weeks tonight. ago, I left WCW 
And quite frankly, I didn't know if I was going to come back. And the reason I didn't know I was going to come back or not is because from day one that I've been in WCW, I've done nothing, nothing but deal with the bullshit of the politics behind that curtain. The fact of the matter is, I've got a wife, I've got three kids at home, and I really don't need this shit. But let me tell you the reason why I did come back. I came back for every one of the guys in that locker room that week in, week out, bust their ass for WCW. I came back for the Booker T's. I came back for every single guy in MIA. I came back for the animals. I came back for Jared. I came back to the guys behind that curtain that give a shit about this company. give a shit about this company. That goddamn politician Hulk Hogan. Because let me tell you people what happened out here in this ring tonight. All day long I'm playing politics with Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan tonight wants to play his creative control card. that tonight in the middle of this ring, when he knew it was bullshit, he beats Jeff Jarrett. Well, guess what? Hogan got his wish. Hogan got his belt and he went the hell home. And I promise everybody or else I'll go in the goddamn grave. You will never see that piece of shit again. I sat out there with the people just like you, and I know you paid good money to come here tonight, and nobody is going to be ripped off here tonight. So Hulk Hogan now has the WCW belt, and Hulk, let's refer to that as the Hulk Hogan Memorial Belt, because from here on in, that belt don't mean shit! Because there will be a new WCW belt, and as far as I'm concerned, that belt still belongs to the one guy that busts his ass week in and week out in the middle of this ring. And you people can love him and hate him, but he doesn't screw anybody back there, and that's Jeff Jarrett. Now hold on a minute. 
Jeff Jarrett is still the official WCW champion, but he will defend that title in this ring tonight. And he will defend that title against the son of a bitch back there who for 14 years has been busting his ass in WCW and can't get a goddamn break because of the Hulk Hogan. And I'm talking about Booker T. Booker T and Jeff Jarrett are the two reasons why I'm in this damn stinking business to begin with. So tonight in this ring, for the WCW title, two deserving guys, Jarrett and Booker, will compete for the WCW and they'll tear this goddamn house down. And Hogan, you big bald son of a bitch, kiss my ass! Tony Schiavone. It's real life here, fans. We come out and Madden and Hudson mark out. Tony says this was a shoot. Hudson says this wasn't on the format. And Tony eggs the segment saying, I have no idea where we're going. Neither do I. Rory, do you? No, I'm not sure I want to either. Let me try to get into cunt bags. Did I get that right, Chris? Is that close enough? Cunt bags mindset might not like what we find in there this is the speech he has been planning ever since he was working the graveyard shift at blockbuster video in late 1993 scribbling it on post-it notes sat back in his plastic chair wondering one day he would get the chance to deliver it and what he's had come his way Let's face it, he hasn't forced his way into this as much as he would tell you. He's been given these breaks. And as much as some of those have been fairly quite nice, you know, he's got to appear on Livewire and call Doc Hendricks Michael Hayes. He's got to hand Sable a plaque. He's even elsewhere got to play an on-screen authority figure. Well, lucky us, we don't get to see his face. All of those, they're all very well and good, but they can't hold a candle to holding up a pay-per-view for five minutes of utterly meretricious, mendacious malfeasance that we, the paying public, had to endure. When the commentary team talking about real life and shoots and going off the format sheet. Well, that is the best thing of a segment on your television screen when watching pro wrestling. And it was. You have got an infinite surfeit of problems. And here you is he. This was Vince Russo incarnate. His chance had finally come. Who better to get the ultimate one over than that goddamn politician Hulk Hogan? I was almost feeling sorry for Terry Boy by the end of this. 
And if you've listened to me on just one of these shows, you will know that takes some doing. Bishop, you got me doing it now. Russo went far beyond the pale with some of his comments to the point where, as you mentioned in the news, the supposed plan was ditched on the spot. Even if it wasn't, uh, don't try to make me believe that you don't need this shit, Russo. You revel in it. You've created this. You love it. Do not insult my intelligence, uh, that phrase again, by trying to tell me that you don't, when you know goddamn well that you do, bro. Chris, my finger is hovering over the edit button. So... (laughs) Before I, I go into full rant, I will let him have his one moment where he said something that potentially had some truth behind it, where he said about the likes of Hogan holding down people like Booker T. Because we do know Hogan's got a pose. Terry has to be the you know the main star and we've seen it with what he did with Kidman that he doesn't want to be the one there to let I'll call it the youth get their breaks. But we know that and we don't need to hear it on television. But I there, completely agree with the sentiment, but don't use fucking pay-per-view time to tell us that. There is my only only moment where I will have any any merodically positive <laughs> to say about shithead McCuntbag the third. So <laughs> Vic Venom, you absolute piece of shit, crappy writer. Because I used to read the WF magazines and those Vic Venom investigates bits were really shitly written poorly fucking edited and really bad grammar and had no fucking insight at all yet somehow this cunt got in Vince's ear to make him think that he was something he was such an obnoxious little shit that broke up the at the time fairly successful booking team of Vince Patterson and Cornette to get his little fucking grubby, dirty fingers in there by God and then managed to be such an obnoxious throw shit at the wall and let's see what happens prick that one of the greatest minds in wrestling for just good storytelling Jim Cornette cannot stand being there so much so that he quits the writing team. This is Jim Cornette who, as we all have probably seen him at a Dairy Queen, get that animated about not being able to get his order. He broke Jim Cornette to the point where Jim Cornette had to leave. This is everything you need to know about Cuntbag. Yet somehow he has come from that 
and his let's throw all the shit at the wall and see what happens. The only reason any of that was successful was it went through Vince's filter. Vince McMahon, not shitbag. Yet, how many times has he now been let go during his tenure of WCW? Is it three times? Yeah, well, I I think, yeah, I think his uh, I think his recent hiatus was his third and he said it was a planned vacation, but not many wrestling writers take planned vacations and lead up to a Hulk Hogan world title match. So take that for what it is. So he's been there less than a year and been binned off three times. Yet somehow does he have something on one of the top guys in AOL, like, you know, naked pictures of a wife or something, to keep being brought back and keep being given autonomous control on this thing that we try to enjoy. And because he has this level of control to the point where he is even made Bischoff leave. The one guy that they can look at and go, oh, he actually made WCW work. This prick then has the audacity to come out and go on about politics and people giving a shit. He clearly only gives a fuck about himself. He clearly only politics himself into a position where someone someone somewhere uh, believes his shit how the fuck does he get away with it time and time and time again and we can all see that his ideas are fucking awful because one of the first things he does in this diatribe of bullshit that comes out of his mouth is give the belt back to the chosen one his buddy Double J who probably is one of the only other people that's been let go from a company more times than him because (laughs) how many times has Vince binned him off how many times did he get binned off from WCW through the years he's clearly a prick, yet pricks do seem to join together and become mecha pricks. Just just think if, you know, Jerry ever wants to set up another federation and wants Jeff back, maybe they'll take Russo with him and we can actually be rid of the cunt. He is, as we said at the end of the year award show, the concept of Russo is the worst thing in wrestling of 99. And it's going to take a lot for the concept of Russo to not be the worst thing of 2000. So much so that I would be tempted to say that Russo is a bigger blot on wrestling than Wahoo McFucking Daniels. <laughs> and we all know how much I fucking hate him. It's come to, to this. <laughs> to the point where I could quite happily rename the Wahoo Award 
the Russo shitbag award. That's where we're at with this card. And yet, somehow, somehow, he gets away with it. How the fuck does he get away with it? Thank fuck that he's not on TV for the rest of the month. But I did see at the end of the month's thing, there's a sit-down interview with Russo on the first funder of next month. Part of me does want to watch it just to see what levels of shit are going to come out of that cunt's mouth. What level of self-entitled fucking God-fantasizing bollocks is he going to say to think that somehow his shit doesn't stink? Fuck you, Russo. Get in a fucking bin, set your fucking self on fire, and be fucking out of this industry as quick as fucking possible, you grade A cunt. Huh, I thought it would be worse. Um, he's a good promo. Just hang with me for a hot second. If he if his energies were channeled and he was not in charge, and if he understood wrestling, and that's been the the complaint about him, and kind of why, as I understand it, he was appealing to Vince McMahon is that he wasn't a wrestling guy, and Vince McMahon yes. always has his willy up for non-wrestling people for whatever yes. reason. So, if he were a wrestling guy and got it and got what wrestling is supposed to be, and you know we can all like different types of wrestling, uh, but there's a certain fundamental barrier that it, it has to be presented as as real as an athletic contest for a purse or for a belt or you know for bragging rights or for something what you can't do is tell everybody that it's fake sometimes matches show people that it's fake sometimes accidents happen that reveal that it's fake sometimes people say things and do things by accident it happens but if you come out and tell people that it's fake and then it's scripted, and then it's planned, and that matches are predetermined. Not that we all don't know that. It's that it turns it into postmodern wrestling, which is not wrestling. And I didn't buy a postmodern wrestling pay-per-view. Um, I barely wanted to buy this wrestling pay-per-view. <laughs> um, and as I say every month, if we didn't have this podcast, I wouldn't, but I do. Um, Rory, you mentioned... I've just got some scattered thoughts here. Rory, you mentioned praising brad siegel and i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw up the red card on that one my friend because brad siegel is the reason why vince brad siegel answers chris Lacey's question as to why vince russo is still here and keeps getting more chances because when vince russo was first sent home late 99 early this year um there was a power vacuum kevin sullivan kind of the temporary booker um with that crew kind of the old crew back and i think dusty might have been kicking around nash had a little bit to say you know the deal and the show was okay. It was fine. It was Nitro was watchable November-ish when Sid was doing his Millennium Man thing. That was fun stuff. Not great by no means. Pay-per-views, but no, not great by any means. But still, a wrestling show. So when Bill Bush, who used to be in charge of the WCW arm of Turner Time Warner, uh, met with Jerry Jarrett in March, Jerry Jarrett said to stick with Sullivan, stay the course, push your stars, enforce your contracts, yada, yada, yada. All the stuff they're starting to do now. But Bill Bush 
didn't want Vince Russo back. Brad Siegel wanted Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff back to the extent that he went over. Yeah. Uh, he un- he undermined his employee, Bill Bush, brought these guys back, fired Bill Bush or Bill Bush resigned either way. And now has been adamantly protecting Vince Russo since because he has to justify his hire and justify losing who by all accounts was a respected Turner executive in Bill Bush. So Brad Siegel is the answer to all of this. So now that he's finally starting to realize that he should have been doing since February or March, what he's finally starting to do now, but he's entrenched in a regime that can't do it, won't do it. And even if they wanted to, it'd be powerless to do it. So now we're just going to tell everybody that it's real or that it's fake and try to hook who and try to get over how. The last thing I want to say on this is you. So I forgot who said it, but somebody said, we want, you know, we want Booker to get over, but telling people why he should be over is not the way to do it. That's exactly right. You communicate, if you want to communicate as a Booker how you feel about a wrestler or how respected somebody is, you communicate that by giving them wins on television and giving them a strong character and booking them to look strong, even in losses. And, and, and you do that by building somebody. And giving Booker T a steady series of wins and giving him a U.S. title run. Like, this shit's not hard and it's worked for 100 years. Why do we have to do it differently now? Booker T is not more over because Vince, Vince Russo said he should be and then gave him a world title match that he didn't earn by losing a match earlier in the night. They made him look as strong as possible afterwards. But, like, this is another example of them not having any clue as to how to do a wrestling show and build wrestlers to move the needle and make money. And turn the company around. I've been saying for a long time, Booker T needs to be part of their long-term plans. Booker T, Scott Steiner, they bring in Mike Austin, like all these really, really great hires, guys that have been around for a while. I thought Buff Bagwell was in that camp for a long time too. That one looks like it, it missed. But either way, they're doing the right stuff just in the completely wrong fucking way. And it, it's embarrassing. And this this Russo promo here, for as well of a promo as I think he can be if he were in, if he were controlled and reined in by wrestling minds, he could be a great heel manager. You know, he could be an, uh, an authority figure. Fine. But this was the cringiest shit I've ever seen on a wrestling show F- that came after the next cringiest thing I've ever seen on a wrestling show, and they happened 30 minutes apart. I wonder how the end of show comments are going to go. Anything else, guys? Will I take a sip before yeah. we hop into the you last 40 very, minutes here? You very much deserve it. I don't want to spend any more time talking about him just because that's what he, that's what all, all of this is about. And I refuse to give him the satisfaction. But so just to tie it back to Booker, to try to grab some, something laudable out of this this mess. Um, yeah, I don't want to support Booker T because he busts his ass and gives a shit backstage. I want to get behind the guy because his character wins wrestling matches. And he lost a wrestling match 40 minutes before this and had his finisher kicked out of it too. As a fan, that's the stuff I care about. I'm not into effort or who shakes the right hands backstage. When I'm watching a pay-per-view, that stuff could not be further from my mind. When I'm spinning through the sheets and preparing for this show, then of course I give it credence. Those are the fans we're appealing to. The 3% of fans who know about this stuff, listen to this show and read the sheets, listen to the show mainly, of course. The other 97% wouldn't have a fucking clue what, what even the commentators were talking about with all the stuff of shoots and run sheets, let alone Mouth Almighty up there. He talks so often about the WWF booking for an audience of one. 
And they're not far wrong when they say that. What Russo thinks sports entertainment should be is for the ultimate audience of one. Needless to say, it's just a cunt. You know, sometimes it's the simplest way of putting it. He's a cunt. He's a cunt with a massive fucking ego. Who has has no clue about wrestling. None whatsoever. He would tell you that with glee as well. He'd be proud of that fact. So fucking depressing. Hey, but it's Goldberg versus Kevin Nash with Oof, Scott Hall's not, livelihood not on the line. Time. <laughs> Five twenty-seven. This so mercy, mercy has been has been granted to some degree. <laughs> on his way to the ring, Nash asks Scott Steiner to watch his back, and Scott says no. Goldberg leaves Scott's contract with the announce desk, and, and the bell rings long before contact is made. Five twenty-seven, guys. A lockup sees Goldberg get a slight advantage, followed by punches in the corner. Nash counters with knees and corners Bill with elbows. A suplex gets Bill a two. Power moves exchange result in Nash getting a chokeslam-looking thing for a two. Scott Steiner is out, and he's revving up the crowd for Nash. Nash gets the boot up on a corner charge, and a side suplex gets Nash a two. Goldberg misses a spear and hits the second buckle, and Nash sets up Bill for the jackknife. But swerve, bro. Scott blindsides Nash, which lets Bill get the spear and jackhammer for the three. Bill tears up Scott Hall's contract, and the announcers sell the end of the Outsiders. Chris. Five moves of doom times two. Somehow only added up to eight moves. I'm not quite (laughs) sure on that, man. There was a hair flick. Always the hair flick. You know, Nash got the hair flick in. That's a move. Bill did his... Snarl, that's a move. So there's there's the turn. Steiner's turn makes no sense to me on this because if you see later in the month, he wants to smash his fucking skull in with a lead pipe. I get that Scott's, you know, on the edge and crazy and, you know, the roids clearly are fucking with his brain and he has the personification of Roid Rage. But why why is he, he turning against Nash, who, yes, they have a history, to go with Goldberg, who then the next night he's swinging a pipe at and trying to smash his skull in. Again, am, am I looking too much into this to find logic or any sense of anything or you know even consistency and i know i know it's wrestling and it's you know seen as by a lot of people that is the lowest common denominator of entertainment but do i really have to switch any part of my brain off to end to for this shit to make sense uh yeah um I think you do. Yeah, uh, Bamber and I, it might have been April, April or May, uh, we, we, went, we ran down the list of the biggest pops right now in WCW. And for me, it was to point out that Hogan was still over. And then for Bob, it was to point out there there's like seven other guys getting bigger ovations than Hogan, which kind of shows that you have at least eight guys or whatever on the card 
getting getting a reaction, whether it's positive heel reaction, positive face reaction, pops, that kind of thing. So they're not without people who can garner a reaction from a crowd. And near, damn near the top of that list, number one was clearly Goldberg, without question, as far as like face pop, pop the crowd. And then near the top of that list was Scott Steiner. And in a, in the matter of 90 days, they've turned them both heel. What more do you need to say? So we'll go to Booker T, who says opportunity is calling, and he's going to answer the door. And it's Booker T versus Jeff Jarrett in an unannounced Bret Hart Invitational World Heavyweight title match. We, could, we couldn't get to WrestleMania 2 on this show, but we'll definitely get to 9. Uh, Michael Buffer is here for this one, too. But if you notice, they completely fucked up the entrances and Buffer's services are wasted. And 60, it was an amazing night. $60 million. Tony on Jarrett. He laid down for Hogan, but this one is for real. We say so much, and sometimes we don't even believe it. Lockup and Jeff gets a headlock. Repeat, and they exchange shoves and taunt. Um, they trade shoulder blocks, and Jeff takes over with fists. Whip into the ropes, and Booker nails a Harlem sidekick. Brawl into the crowd and into the concourse. Booker sends Jeff into a wall, and they brawl into the bleachers. Back to ringside, and Jeff nails Booker with a chair. Jeff sends Booker into the announce table. Jeff pile drives Booker onto the announce table. No DQ. In the ring, Jeff puts the boots to Booker. Jarrett sleeper hold nearly does Booker in, but he hooks up at two. Back in the sleeper hold, and we go to the figure four, but uh, Booker escapes with a roll-up for a two. A lot of rest spots in the middle of this one. Jeff gets the figure four, and the audio on the Booker T chance is inconsistent. I'm still trying to figure that out. Anyway, Booker reverses the hold. Jarrett wiggles out and regains the advantage. But Booker intercepts Jeff and nails an axe kick and a spine buster for a close two. Booker gets hung up in the ropes with a missed Harlem sidekick. And the ref is knocked out in the corner, which lets Jeff grab the world title. Booker gains the advantage and nails Jeff, but only gets a two from the woozy ref. A low blow lets Jeff uh, grab a chair and wedge it in the corner. But Booker sends Jeff into the chair and gets a two. Jeff nails an uppercut and nails the stroke on the referee. Jeff gets the guitar. Booker catches Jeff on the top rope with a bookend and gets the three when a new ref appears from a cloud of dust, apparently, to count the three. And I've written, it would have been nice if Canyon hadn't kicked out of it two hours ago. And the crowd pops huge. New world champion Booker T. And Tony cuts off Madden, hilariously, to send the show home. Rory. I'd like to think it deliberate that you didn't come to me for Goldberg beating Nash. It's real life here, fans. The match was for Scott Hall's contract. Goldberg ate it the end of last month. Is that correct? Yes, that is. It looked in pretty good condition for something that had been through his digestive system. Maybe he is a cyborg after all. And that's all I want to say about that. So thank you for skipping me. The match was five minutes of Goldberg, Kevin Nash. You've got it. Okay. Oh, and Scott Steiner, a heel turning heel. Now you really have got it. Let's let's focus on something vaguely positive because Lord knows we need it. And I didn't think we were going to get it. We had the best we were going to get here. Yes. Jarrett... (sighs) How many times have I fucking said it over the last 
feels like six lifetimes. Jarrett is Jeff Jarrett is Jeff Jarrett. And that's what we got in the ring here. Working the same workaday box standard thumbs in the belt loops. 1988 USWA style. He has always worked. He gets by with it. It's nowhere close to the praise that one person, just one, maybe two if you count his dad, regularly foists upon him. Just, I don't think his dad's that into him. <laughs> no, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett would not be champion if Jerry Jarrett had elected to go to WCW and offered. That's the irony here. <laughs> Isn't it just? <laughs> he is still the guy who looks over people's shoulders backstage when they're looking at their rather meek payoff and says to them, staring at it won't make it any bigger. He's still that guy. He's that guy in the ring. See what I'm getting at? Booker, though, as versatile, but it's slightly kindly, as he is in the ring, was able to adhere to what was undoubtedly a Jarrett match give or take an extra couple of table bumps because that's what main event wrestling is these days, isn't right. it? Supposedly, they had to be there. Check the box. Got to have a ref bump. Got to have a false finish. Got to have a visual pin. Got to have a teased, dusty finish. We even had that at the end. Yes, we did. But all of that stuff was to be expected. So I can't say especially after what had gone before, I can't say I was too deflated by the match because it's one of those where it was all about getting the right finish. And despite Booker being knocked back a fair few pegs an hour earlier, this was still the right finish, the right guy on top at the right time. You could listen to virtually any WCW show which Booker T was fit over the last two and a half years. And you will hear multiple contributors saying the same thing. No, Booker's time is now. Booker's time is now. Booker's time is now. For one reason or another, it never quite happened. And now, almost, well, we're on the downswing. And he's been given that gimmick that I'm not even going to mention last month. And he's been losing to Chris Canyon in the last hour. We have got there. And... I am pleased that we have. We'll talk about it a bit later on, how well, oh yes, how well he has been treated over the last three weeks of television, how good it looked, him raising the belt, ascending the ropes, most importantly, causing Tony Schiavone to shut Mark Madden up mid-flow. Two hours, 40 minutes too late, but you take what you can. Tony, and... can I jump in here? No, we got to go. <laughs> Beautiful. Your body was on form today, if nobody else was still looking for those alligators. Uh, and in a ream of negativity, let's just take a moment to give thanks to the fact that in the top two promotions, such that this is one of the top two promotions, it still is nominally, no, the world champion is a person of colour. That is something to celebrate. And that is how I'm very happy to close my comments here. We have two contributors now, and I'll call on the other one, just to make sure. Chris. So, first things first, when they came out with that, well, when Shitbag came out with his belt, is it the one from the merch stand that he came out with? Because 
It looked very cheap and fucking tacky. It definitely wasn't the same belt. I yeah, read a re- something different. I read a report that maybe the earlier belt wasn't the the real belt, and this was huh? the new belt, or this was the real belt. Uh, but I don't think anybody really knows. But yeah, you you have a keen eye there. They were definitely different. So it's great that Booker has been given the title. Yeah, and it's it's the thing of finally someone you know who has been there, worked his way through, had all the belts, sort of, you know, the workhorse finally gets the big one. The problem is, it's wasted on this level of clusterfuck of a show. This should have been a coronation. This should have been something like a tournament, you know, like a fucking Survivor Series where you know he he battles the odds and gets the title that way if you didn't want to advertise him having a title match or he should have been advertised to have a title match and you know it gets that excitement going into it that oh this guy that we've liked for years has been here for years it's done everything for us is finally getting his chance he's finally getting his shot it should have been it should have been done on a better show and in a better way. But not to take anything away from what Booker did in this match, Booker did the best you can do with a wet bag of cement and hammers. It would have meant more if done properly. There are dark corners of the internet typically that have black backgrounds with yellow font that like to purport Jeff Jarrett to be underrated, underappreciated. He gets heat, but aren't you supposed to get heat as a heel? That kind of thing. Are they on crack? That's all misguided wretches. (laughs) Just, I just want you to know those people are out there. The same three percent of the same three uh, a different three percent of wrestling fans that WCW is trying to cater to. So maybe with a little also, bit, of, yeah. Are they also the ones that think that you know Americans must have guns because you know to overthrow the the tyranny of of the mass populace of the parliament and such, and you know want to blow up with Guy Fawkes, the weird flat earthers and things like that. Well, I don't know about that. Oh, you got heavy on. You got heavy there for a minute. Um, <laughs> but they, you need to be fucking that level of crazy if you think yeah. Jeff Jarrett's good. Right. Well, that no, you brought it back around. That's true. But this show has really made us think very, very deeply about ourselves uh, and about why we, why we watch this. And so rarely does a show end with, you know, something that we every kind of everybody universally wanted to see for a while, and. I think you both said it perfectly. Like this was the right outcome done completely wrong with no build and it doesn't help anybody. And I don't know, could you have done this on nitro and tried to capture some of that Mick Foley energy where the guy, everybody kind of wants to win finally wins and you build it all night and you know, you make a guy that way it's television company. Anyway, this didn't help them sell any more pay-per-view buys and it didn't help them 
promote any nitros because if you just watch nitros and not the pay-per-view and you were watching from one nitro to the next you would have no idea booker t won the world title so why would you tune in if you if you're just kind of a casual viewer so correct outcome i hope they stick with it the match was fine i the the point that was made about booker t having the best match possible with jeff jarrett yeah all of jeff jarrett's matches are like are fine they're all just like a six um he could wrestle the Giant. He could wrestle Rey Mysterio. He could wrestle Hulk Hogan. He could wrestle Sting. He could wrestle Bret Hart. He could wrestle wrestle anybody, and it'd be a, a, a five or a six. Um, the best match he ever had was with Shawn Michaels, and that was that's probably not even on the first page of Shawn Michaels' best matches. So let's just think about that for a minute. So we had a fine match with a good outcome that capped a show that did not need this to be the outcome. This should have not been the outcome because this – well, pale in comparison, uh, hopefully not, but I have this bad feeling that, you know, at least the people in our neck of the woods are going to be a lot more interested in Vince Russo's weird shit. And this Booker T thing is going to get kind of lost. In fairness to WCW, and we'll transition out of it in a minute, but they did the best they could at making Booker T seem like somebody who always belonged at the top and should have been at the top uh, by the by the end of the month. So as long as they stick with it and, and, and they really do make him instead of just serving him up to Goldberg or Hogan or Nash or somebody. Okay, let's let's hope for the best. Rory, your overall thoughts on the show and somehow a score rating out of 10. Yeah, to coin and paraphrase a rather famous phrase, uh, when they go low, I go low too after all this discussion. I was far too kind to this two hours ago. I was looking at the card at the time, looking at some of the personnel involved, and their efforts were probably infiltrating my comments. And I still think to a degree that they deserve, and they know who they are, they deserve a modicum of credit here. We know the matches we're talking about. We've discussed them. Uh, You've just said it there, Eric. This is not going to be remembered for Booker T finally becoming the world champion. It's just not going to be. It's going to be remembered for what I'm going to euphemistically call you-know-what. Because I'm already sick of talking about it. I only mentioned it half an hour ago. And I feel in many unguarded and maybe even guarded moments, I'm going to be talking about it for the next 25, 30, 35 years. So he's got what he wanted. Does he really care what I, professional wrestling commentator slash journalist, said he loftily (laughs) dares to afford it on a podcast? I'm going to anyway. I'm still going to stick with the grudging credit that I tried to give this show. But Mark Wise, call it a two and a half. But I would have zero issue whatsoever if this ends up taking top slash bottom honours for worst show of the year in five months time. You won't get much complaining out of me if that's the case. Chris. So this was, for the most part, a really boring and slow show. An opener on paper, which should have been good, but was convoluted. The cat shit with the Young Dragons got old really fast.
like you didn't really mention it as much as it happens on there, but that was just boring as shit. Obviously, my beef with the rules only applying some of the time, that's just fucking annoying as fuck. Cunt and old cunt, fuck both of them. Fuck Hogan, fuck Russo. At least, at least there was there was one decent advertised match with Orson and Steiner. You know, that was what I wanted to see from them too. Big lads lumping the shit out of each other. Thank you very much. Just give me more of that. And Booker winning the belt is going to be something that is important and should be seen as something important. But it should have meant more. It should have been advertised. It should have been built to. It should have been at a point when people were there to see that, not to the point of where I I would imagine if people didn't... If this was on TV and people didn't have to pay for it, after the Russo shit, TVs would have been turned off and people wouldn't have seen it. It's wasted and that's that's the thing. This is what this is tarnished by is that the two things they do right cannot bring any joy or light to every other thing that is wrong about this show. And I can only give it a one and a half. Yeah, this uh, this show ranged from bad to cringe with a a smidge of decent here and there. Uh, The ultimate outcome is encouraging, but we got there in the worst way possible. Um, There was little memorable wrestling on the show, and it had several of the worst segments I can remember, especially the tag title match and the graveyard match will stick with me for a long time. As for the Russo stuff, we've talked about it enough. I'll just say that Booker winning and the general quality of some of the matches is enough to save the show from infamy. 1.5 out of 10 for me. All right. Well, we come out of the pay-per-view forlorn and sullen. It's almost like this show isn't fun anymore. So let's talk about something positive, right? Positive Rory. Let's talk about Booker T getting the proverbial rockets, uh, rockets strapped to his back to close the month. What we'll do is I'll just, I'm just going to summarize Booker T's odyssey between winning the pay-per-view, uh, winning the world title at the pay-per-view on the ninth through the end of the month, which conveniently ended on the 31st with a nitro. So the July 10 nitro opens with the coronation that we all wish would have been hyped. Um, instead of people tuning in confused because the vast majority of WCW's audience would not have seen the pay-per-view by now. But anyway, a Booker cuts a really awesome promo, really solid, like baby face. I'm just going to come out here and be the people's champion, you know, exactly kind of the old school promo that we love. And it shows that Booker T can cut a world champion face promo like better than Bret Hart. And then Scott and Stevie. So then it gets really nice. Stevie comes out and they they reunite. Stevie Ray and Booker T. They reunite. Stevie says he's proud of him. Um, Booker's wife is here, and it's just a big Harlem Heat family reunion. And then the sirens hit, but it's Medeja, and she comes out to confront Booker's wife. This allows Scott Steiner to attack Booker from behind, 
And this was a really good segment. They're clearly setting, they're hoping to set up Scott and Booker, but that's not what we get. About an hour later, we get Booker T versus Mike Awesome for the world title. And this is a long back and forth match, and Booker wins clean with the bookend. And then Scott attacks again with a recliner. And just to note, Mike Awesome saves Booker T here and kind of turns face. So then on the 18th, which is a Tuesday Nitro, uh, there's a U.S. title attorney that we'll talk about. But we also get Scott Steiner in the main event is Scott Steiner versus Bill Goldberg. But what, what I noted here is that Booker T is kind of in the mix here. So he's out with on the call with Scott versus Bill. So they're really moving him in there. Um, and then it gets weird, guys. Uh, on the 24th, Booker T pins Bill Goldberg. And then he follows that up on the 31st Nitro by pinning Sting. So uh, in the course of two weeks or three weeks, he's mixed into the main event. And then he pins Goldberg, and then he pins Sting. Guys, Chris, is WCW doing this right? I know. Hell half frozen over. Fuck me. They've done something properly. You know, the way they got there was poor. Obviously, to get the title onto Booker. But they are making him a credible champion and a fighting champion. The fact that he comes out and says that he will defend his title every Monday on Nitro. Yeah, he's doing uh, the Brett 92 thing, but he's not getting Skinner. He's getting Goldberg. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and they are putting him in there against the top guys. You know, he does the honorable thing because, obviously, the, the week that he fights Goldberg, he's meant to fight Sting because it was a people's vote thing. And that last week, he goes... The paper wanted me against Sting. We're gonna have it, and you can't you can't not like him. He is a fighting champion that wants to be there, wants to fucking take on all comers. If something has been decided that should be done, he wants to fucking do it. You know, yes, Cunt Goldberg has to you know go full Cunt Hogan and kick out three point one. Because, you know, you can't lose properly. But still, for someone, because we always say that WCW is a TV company, they're not done on pay-per-views. This really does make Booker, to the people that are watching it on telly, look credible and have fucking raised him up well past where he was in that match with fucking Canyon to being a deserving and fighting champion that you can actually believe in and get behind and you want to see what he's going to do next. It's a fucking miracle. WCW do something right. Pretty much sure that Vince Russo has nothing to do with this. (laughs) Rory, Hulk, uh, uh, Booker T or Hulk Hogan, like who am I looking at with these wins? (laughs) 
<laughs> do I need to explain that to you? Um, I probably do, actually, the way he's being booked. And, uh, I think you know what I'm getting at there. I feared the worst after Booker cut that excellent, make no mistake, excellent babyface promo on the Nitro after the pay-per-view. There is still a place, even in this rough-and-tumble, hurly-burly world that pro wrestling is in the summer of 2004. I'm doing this for the fans. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to defend this belt against all comers. That still has its place. Overuse it, as we did, and with the wrong people five years ago, you get the changes to the business we are still very much feeling now. Uh, In small doses and with the right person, and Booker T is definitely that, go with it. And he has, and he's lived it. But... My heart sank when Stevie Ray came out that first time. We were all expecting the turn, weren't we? Or Stevie Ray to stay here. I can't even keep track anymore. We were expecting Stevie Ray to beat him up and leave him laying. But no, gave him his blessing. Shook his hand. Told him he was his brother. Yeah, it was a great segment. It really was. I I was watching just... Apropos of not very much, I was watching yesterday for reasons best known to myself. Uh, an edition, I should dig out an old edition of WCW Saturday Night from September 18th, 1993, the day before Fall Brawl of that year. And the first match was Sting versus Kane. Kane, of course, the then name of Stevie Ray. Booker T interfered at the end of that one when he was known as Cole. Oh, I can barely even fucking say that now. And look where he is now. He is now the world champion. That tells you how long the road has been. And if anybody, after all of that, all the stuff he's been through over the last seven years. See, this is where we can talk about this stuff. This is where we can talk about the backstage stuff. This is where he is a deserving champion. And it's right he gets his brother to shake his own hand on television. It's right he gets to celebrate with his wife. It's right he gets to beat Mike Awesome in an excellent TV match. It's bloody right he gets to beat Bill Effin Goldberg on free TV. 3.1 kick out or not. And it's right he gets to beat fellow babyface. And it must be said, rival or babyface champion, even here in July 2000, mm-hmm. Sting. Yeah. Still, still very popular with the crowd. Absolutely right. So that's is a huge boon in his favour as well. I would never, even when I was the pay-per-view, all the horrors of the pay-per-view, even pulling the positive of Booker lifting the championship, never in my wildest dreams, sometimes I think everything related to WCW is a very wild dream. Stop eating cheese before bed. But it's all very real, as we're told (laughs) by the commentary team. But even in my wildest, wildest dreams, even beyond that, I would never have thought they would book Booker so well and make him a fighting champion and keep him a deserving champion and they have done it and it softens the blow just slightly for when he lays down for jeff fucking jarrett next month because you know it's well, coming well <laughs> yeah and so i love what they're trying to do we've talked a lot about the good so i'm gonna maybe highlight how it could be better what if um what if instead of giving away – well, the Goldberg thing, it makes sense to me because, like, you have Booker slip by Goldberg. Then you can build to a rematch when Goldberg's like – and then Goldberg 
powders him afterwards, and everybody's like, yeah, he's not going to do that again. Um, the Sting thing is a match you could build to. Um, that that could be a main event. Um, that could be a or or one of these big nitros where they try to sell out a an arena, which I don't think they've done in a while. But you know these these big matches that could be used to elevate Booker going on Nitro, not really being advertised, those that sort of thing. So I'm wondering if they're hot shotting it a little bit in the attempt to get this guy over, but they're going to run out of matches after a while. I might rather have him come out and just beat Canyon clean in seven minutes um, to open the top of the second hour instead of going against Mike, because then you kind of clean up the mess from the night before. And then you can build to Booker and Mike and, and you can have Booker against guys that are upper mid card and just have him pick up wins and then every, and then have him winning as the fighting champion while he's building to his main event match with a credible person. So like Mike awesome Booker T is not going to main event a pay-per-view, but Booker T versus Sting can. And so you have Booker beat Mike Awesome, beat Canyon, you know, beat generic 6-7 guy, beat Shane Douglas clean. Like, just pick up wins on television to show he's a fighting champion. And then when you get to the pay-per-view, then he also has to win those matches too for a while. And that's how you kind of develop, like, the traveling champion model, where it's like every territory didn't have a Ric Flair, but Ric Flair could go into these territories and, and elevate the card, but it takes winning for sustained periods of time in front of a lot of people to do that. So you're going to give these matches away. And then I kind of wonder, yeah, are they just doing this to elevate him before they job him out to Jarrett and kind of get back on course? Or so can say, look what I did. I'm so progressive or whatever. Like I hate to be the fly in the ointment here, but there are some, there's a lot of reports that one of the reasons, one of the motivating factors for WCW to do this and to do this in such a kind of a hot shot way is because of the ongoing like racial discrimination lawsuits that they have against so many people. So we'll see where this goes. It looks good so far. I might have done it a little bit differently, but in the spectrum of everything that we've complained about over the last year or two with this company, this is one of the better things they've done. So hoping for the best. Well, the last thing here, um, there's a lot going on on Nitro, and, and, and we all kind of agreed that the, the, the Nitros after the pay-per-view were pretty good some of the best strings of nitros that, that we've seen we don't do the show reviews anymore and frankly if we did we'd be giving russo too much credit but there were a couple of things that the the gents and i wanted to discuss um and i think at this point we'll just turn it over and and i think the the thread can be on the 18th uh the tuesday nitro there was a u.s title tournament uh, that pitted mike awesome chris canyon lance storm bagwell vampiro the great muda Shane Douglas and Billy Kidman in the uh, topics that we were wanting to discuss before the show. Most of these guys, uh, uh, most of the guys we wanted to talk about happen to be in this U S title tournament. So I will recommend the July 18 nitro and the U S title tournament that is ultimately won by Lance storm. So resident ECW uh, chairman, Chris Lacey, Lance storm coming in and not only picking up the U S title, but also picking up both the hardcore title and the cruiserweight title by the end of the month. So Lance looks like he's getting he's getting a Booker T level push, but maybe just to the mid card. If I can be serious for a minute, then we should all rise for the playing of the Canadian national anthem. The greatest wrestler for technical wrestling that wasn't in the Fed 
is finally getting the mainstream recognition that he deserves. The Saskatchewan Hardcore Invitational title, the 140 kilo or under title, and the Canadian champion, your hero and mine, Lance Storm. It's everything that we said about him back in the ECW shows. Um, and both of you have said when you've been on ECW with me, uh, he is too good for ECW. But would he be able to be done? You know, would he be able to be hang in one of the other feds? Yes, he can. Yes, he is. And fuck me. He's one of the best things on fucking TV. It is is great to see Lance literally coming into WCW like Dr. Water. By far, the best matches on on the shows are Lance's. Um, The the fact of, like, every week he was having a title versus title match and winning and just, just... being amazing is like yes just just plug this right into my veins the only thing that i have an issue with is that he's in the wcw not the fed because i want to see him and benoit or him and angle so so badly yeah uh it's been a welcome reprieve to have a credible wrestler wrestling wrestling matches to win wrestling titles on a kind of a wrestling show uh Rory, thoughts on Lance Storm's month winning the U.S. title tournament? And also, just fill us in on your boy Shane Douglas' odyssey. Oh, I'll get there. A little... I've been looking forward to this all night, um, so to speak. So just a little bit more on Lance Storm. Uh, towards the end of the month, he was wearing a I Am Canadian t-shirt, which is my one caveat about how brilliant it's been. I fear that our ideas man is going to dredge something up that was given to us in what will be far superior fashion three years ago to mix up my tenses. It looks like that's where we're headed. But anyway, that's not Lance Storm's fault because he is not a lumberjack or a fur trader, as the T-shirt tells us. He does not own a dog sled. And most importantly of all, and this is something we should all live our lives by, and remember, the beaver is a proud and noble animal. That is the person you want. And it's Z, not Z. The 26th letter is pronounced Z, not Z. He has the prime minister. Not, he believes in diversity, not in assimilation. There you are. And other things I can't see because I shot this off a monitor on a Polaroid camera. So that's the best you're getting out of me. Anybody, you know, I don't know if I don't know if Bill Apter was at ringside. Maybe I'll give him a bell, see if he can tell me what was on there. But yeah, Lance Storm wrestling his way to championships, three in a row, winning matches by submission, getting what is in essence as great a wrestler though he is. That's call a spade a spade here his finisher is a half boston crab but look at the people he's beating with it that's how you make a finisher effective that's how you get people into your matches go ahead and do it you can give this guy any form of finisher you wanted he'd be able to make it look good and get over because he is lance storm not for no reason has he made it into the final nominations list for worker of the year in both 98 and 99 and if he is permitted very important word, permitted to be able to get on and do this for the remaining five months of this year, 
then I would have zero issue with him making it in there once again. Wrestler, be a book to wrestle and win wrestling matches. It might just catch on, you know. It's so, re- really quick, really quick on the yeah, hold, on, on his finishing hold, like that's how you get submission holds over is just mm. by having big burly men tap out to them the minute they're applied. Like 10 years ago, the sharpshooter didn't look like a finisher. The figure four was a finisher at one point. Like the ankle lock, like when she, nobody had done that before Shamrock and then he immediately tapped out Vader and it's like, holy shit, that thing must hurt. So you get finishing holds over by having guys tap out to finishers, uh, to tap out to it. So I think as long as he's going to sell it, wrench it in, and he can get into it in different ways, like he's not going to tap Hogan with it, but, you know, Mike Awesome went down. So I don't know. I think that's how you do it. If you're going to give a guy a perceived weak finisher, make him look, make him, have him look, have him make it look as good as possible. Easy for me to say, which he does and have it win the match, which it does. So I think they're doing an okay job on that. Oh, more than okay. Towards the end of the month, when he was going for that move, the crowd would gasp. And we all loved it when they gasped when Flair went for the figure of four, mm-hmm. the Great American Bash 90, right? Right. Learn from the classics. Here, at least, they're doing it. Sometimes the old ones are the best. More people would do well to be reminded of that. Yeah, for Shane Douglas, those days... <laughs> Pivoting from Ric Flair to Shane Douglas. He can't catch a break, can he? Certainly not when I'm around. So to fill you in, make sure I've got the timeline right on this one. Billy Kidman on the, I believe it was the 24th of July edition of Nitro, informed us that he had what is known in the game as a sex tape of he and Tory Wilson that he was going to show us much to the chagrin of Mr. Douglas. And he was true to his word, leading to a scene, which you told us, Eric, and reminded us is actually straight out of American Pie, where we had various members of the roster watching said video, I presume getting fairly into it. The camera cut away rather quickly. Here we go. He's in, man. This has got a hell of a lot better. Be gentle. Okay. Never one to be outdone, on camera or off. Mr. Douglas felt like shooting his own with the inimitable Tory Wilson. However, there was just one problem. He couldn't quite get into character, so to speak. I'm told these things happen. Time for me to do that shrug pose again. Performance anxiety, clearly. (laughs) But this is Shane Douglas, guys, the franchise. No, isn't he supposed to be better than Ric Flair in every department? Yeah, <laughs> didn't think about that one. I'd love to know. Who, I'd love to know who presented this idea to him. I'd take it all back about Russo if it was him. I'd take it all back. <laughs> one, one, one CNN center return address, R. Flair, Greensboro, North Carolina. <laughs> See, all this time for six years, we were saying Flair is not remotely bothered about this. The one time I 
Yeah. I'm going to say he cared just for these couple of weeks. And it led to a Viagra on a pole match. The yeah, final. Boy, it boy, it of course it did. Mark Madden. Yeah, Mark Madden. They're going to say no more than that. Douglas actually nominally won the match. I believe I'm correct. Did he win it? He did. He did, yeah. yes. Um, however, he's, the bottle was smashed. Uh, Kidman managed to hoover them up. He seemed like somebody who had good practice there. So not even there could Shane catch a break or break anything. Only one, he says, allowing Mr. Landstrom to give the edit button a dust off once more. But there you go. Um, yes, it's silly. Yes, it's stupid. Yes, it's Shane Douglas. I laughed. Yeah. Feast feast or famine, as we always talk about when these when these ECW guys go to Atlanta. Uh, I think it's fair we can add Chris Lacey, perhaps, maybe, Mike Awesome to this list. So Lacey, anything oh. you want to say, anything you want to say about Shane Douglas? And then why don't you just, you know, as we're doing a little crossover episode here, tell us how Mike Awesome's month went. So first things first, Shane Douglas is just being Shane Douglas as he was for pretty much the most of that back end of the ECW run where he came back. In ring, pretty shit. On mic, pretty shit. But, you know, he doesn't have the years of being the franchise and Francine to fall back on. Oh, Mike Awesome, how... how how did they do this? Why did they do this? What's wrong with you, WCW? When we praise them for being so right with Lance Storm, they decide to give the one guy that could quite easily be a killer and a monster and a credible big man threat to any of your faces Mike fucking awesome who had a fucking awesome final match with Lance Storm in that US title tournament which was just glorious to see ECW on WCW TV one of the best matches of the month easily they make him the fat chick thriller okay one thing, you know, if if you have a penchant for the large ladies, that's fine. Everyone has a type, but yeah, that's not where the was, that's not where the problem in this gimmick lies. Like, <laughs> it was the fact that he is now a joke character because he had two of his fat chick fans come in and help him hobble to the back there was there was there was hints of this at the pay-per-view when he was chatting up the fat lady that was with jeff jarrett for the fat lady sings spoof he is someone the the thing that made him in easy dub was he was no nonsense no gimmicks no bullshit just a nasty bastard that will throw bombs, smack you with a chair and lob you through a fucking table, but can also take a licking. Just watch the series of matches with him and Tanaka. I 
I see this and I just think you're trying to make him a comedy wrestler or at least a comedy character. And he is, as I said earlier, easily right now the big, the best big guy in wrestling for fucking how agile he is, the shit that he can do and the way he makes shit look. And you are limbering this with him. Where does this go? What what does it do for Mike Awesome? It doesn't do anything for him. It's just when you think, you know, they've got their ideas right in their head, Russo goes full fucking Russo and starts throwing shit at the wall. And unfortunately, some of that shit has hit Awesome. You know, there, there's... Uh, there's an onion to peel back of problems with this. And I don't even know where to start. Like, why is this a gimmick? How does this contribute to somebody's wrestling persona? You're the crusher. I kind of fucking know what what's coming at me if I'm going up against the crusher, right? What, what does this do for anybody? It, it, it's supposed to be a joke and it's supposed to be funny and it's clearly Russo and we know how Russo feels about women. So obviously if, if he's going to push Sable to the moon as the next motherfucking Hulk Hogan, then you know what he thinks about, about women of any sort of size or any sort of color that don't look just like that. And this would have been offensive if he was the fat chick thriller or the, the black chick thriller or the Mexican chick thriller, or the skinny chick thriller, or whatever. Like, and it just, it's just so fucking misogynist and so fucking gross. And it alienates people who like Mike Awesome. It alienates people who watch the show, um, who don't want to just be offended. Like, have their their fucking like, I don't know. It's so bad. It's such poor Russo humor. It's so out of fucking touch. It's so gross. It's so like frat boy. <clears throat> Like, what percentage of that 3% audience that you're appealing to is appealing – is appealed to this versus just turned off by the fact that this company is doing this to Mike fucking awesome? There's so many things wrong with this. I We're, we're almost at three hours now, and I could go on for another hour about this. It's, it's just – it's horrible. Just when you think that they can't reach a new low, they, they manage to find it. Rory. Anything on this? Anything on Mike Awesome? And uh, maybe we can brighten our spirits by also talking about the welcome return of one great Muta. Couple of points on Mike Awesome. The, the fat chick thriller, obviously Russo, obviously offensive, obviously poking fun at the character of Mike Awesome and anybody else who would have such a predilection as if that's a bad thing. It isn't. It never has been. It never will be. Only thing I will say at this stage, and who knows, by the time people even listen to this podcast, these comments might be out of date, but I'll put them on the record anyway, so tell me I'm wrong, as I'm sure you'll be able to do. It hasn't affected his in-ring or his matches yet. He's accompanied to the ring by these ladies. He leaves with them. It's in his bloody name, which I now hate. But he's still the same Mike Awesome in the ring at the moment. Now, if he leaves 
a world title match after 30 seconds against Booker T to chase after the Rosati sisters, then we've <laughs> really got a problem. That might be a first on this show. <laughs> Seven years, first Rosati sisters name drop. We, we've got work to do, everybody, on some of these uh, pre-93 references. We've got to get as many in as we can. We've got some catching up to do. That happens. We've really got a problem. I can see something very similar to it coming our way before too long. Uh, but now it's just, and I mean just about vaguely salvageable, but let's be honest, they're not going to do it. So now all I'm going to do is prompt Mr. Lacey for the reason he is here. He chooses his WCW appearances, doesn't he? The Misfits in November and December, and he's here for the return of Mr. Muta. Lacey, all I can do there is set you up. Away you go. So anyone that knows my former guys will know when living through 88 to 91 Muta and Sting just shoot that shit into my veins. <laughs> I I will I will fucking die on that crawl on that hill for that that is fucking amazing pure wrestling. And to see Muta come back the face paint may have changed the balding's there but he's still crisp he's still got that edge he's still got that mischievousness about him and do you know what put him in the dark carnival put him with vampiro in the icp and kiss wannabe because you can use him properly you can put him in this in this feud and you know if done properly and he pulls out the full bag of mists we'll get blinding green mist which mark madden fuck you for not selling properly neither did the neither did the icp yeah as you say in a way nor did shaggy too dope you little shit but you know i want to see red mist i want to see i want to see insta death with some red mist um i want to see the the famed black mist which is you know you're never coming back from work in tag matches get the belts off fucking chronic get them on vampiro and muta just just give me that or see if that muta's in the state get him in ecw against tajiri <laughs> get that shit in my veins landstorm Yes, yes, please. Very awesome to have Muda back. Especially awesome that he just beat Vampiro in three minutes on Nitro. Yes. Um, which, normally, one. I'm not a big fan of the veteran coming back for a glory run, going over a guy that they clearly put a lot of stock into, but this one was just satisfying for me. Yeah, he looks great. I was worried, because, you know, when I say looks great, he moves great. He looks old, um, even with the face paint. Like, that, he's got a hair situation that really needs to be addressed. It's nice to have him. It, it still adds some credibility. It's a name that people who've maybe come away from watching WCW might tune in to watch. Not saying Muda was ever, you know, a huge needle mover like Ric Flair or Sting or anybody like that, but he had a fan base. And you know, Chris, you're you're an embodiment of it. Like, this is a guy that people will say, "Oh shit, Muda's on." I'll check this guy out. Maybe we'll, we'll get some mist. And you can definitely build him. You can move him up and down the card. He's probably not a main event guy, but 
he could do tag. He could be in there, you know, with with those, you know, with the weird crew uh, of all those guys. He could have matches for, you know, interim belts, that kind of thing. Like there wasn't much, at least there wasn't much in the torch. I don't read the Observer. There wasn't much in the torch about, you know, what kind of contract he's in on. If he's just coming in to, you know, have a, a couple weeks here and there, or if he's going to be part of it for a while. But if he's going to be around for three, four, five, you know, even six months or so, there's a lot they can do with this guy. It's exciting to see him back. And, you know, I'm glad we're able to go ahead. The thing is, see, with him being part of the Dark Carnival, if they want to build two Vampiro Sting again, you do Sting working his way through. Right. Which, there's obviously there's that built history already, as mentioned from like late 80s, early 90s of him and Sting. It writes its fucking self. Wrestling can be the most simple fucking thing. Vampire, you know, Sting wants that vampire for setting him on fire. Work your way through the cronies. Let him fucking eat up ICP in two minutes. Let him eat up Torborg. Then we get a fucking proper match, you know. Muta being the end level boss before you get to the big fucking the big boss. I just I just want to see him and Sting again. You know we say Muta looks good, but I mean he's older. Sting is obviously you know he's slowed down a lot and he's changed his style quite a bit. I would hearken to guess that the match quality from a work standpoint would not be as good as their matches from just about ten years ago. But I bet psychologically, and I bet with the with the knowledge and the tenure that these guys have picked up since then, when they were both relatively young, I bet these guys could have a hell of a match. I'm really excited to see Muda back in the mix with Sting. If we're gonna keep stretching out this Vampiro Sting thing, you know, adding Muda to the mix is a good way to to, to stretch that out. Let them deviate a little bit, come back. Yeah, and it will hopefully elevate Vampiro, which I think they need because they've kind of. I don't think he's doing much to help himself with this weird shit in the graveyard, whatever. So, um, yeah. Rory, any last thoughts on Mood or anything else you want to talk about before I send this robust episode home? <laughs> robust. Once again, words chosen advisedly. Yeah, I'll just finish up on Muta. I hope Muta Sting is where we're going. I don't even think it necessarily even needs to be on pay-per-view. I think fans like us would probably like to see that. We would be affording it the respect we probably say it deserves. But for a lot of today's audience, it might take a bit of extra explaining. I'm not going to balk too much if it ends up eight or ten minutes a match on Nitro. As long as we get it, I think we can. I think there is a bow that needs to be put on the Mutas thing thing after all this time. And as we don't know what Mutas contract status is. Don't know how many more opportunities, maybe even week to week, they're going to get to do it. So they should strike while the iron is mild. You know, we're looking for any optimism. You know, we we, we talked enough about Russo, um, I think, for, for plenty. And there's so much turmoil and there's so much going on backstage. And like the company's probably for sale. And there's just, there's just a lot to not love about WCW. And it's it's frankly become kind of a chore sometimes. But so when we can find these little morsels or keep tabs on guys that we've liked for a long time, like a lot of the ECW guys, Shane Douglas, pretty well excluded, you know, get guys back like Muda, who, you know, we, it's come to a point, I think, with WCW where it's important for us to find things we like or else this is going to become a chore. And that's not what this project <laughs> was intended to be. 
So we will send it home with happy thoughts of Green Mist and Black Mist, and hopefully Landstorm can continue to pick up wrestling wins in wrestling matches on a wrestling show. We are on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. Rory McNamara, we're at 310 on my recording, which means the show's going to be about 245. Anything to add or anything to plug before we uh, send it on home, sir? Again, they sent me here. I said it three hours ago. I'm going to say it again now. But I'm being treated very well by my oppressors. They're feeding me. They're cloning. Okay. <laughs> very convincing. Yes, uh, you can find me elsewhere on a couple of other podcast adventures I have talking about the wrestlings over on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. You can hear me on two shows there every month. I have a show called The Special Relations where my fellow Brits Ben Locke and Callum McDougall just yak about pro wrestling for two and a half hours, really. We have some regular regular segments on there. We have My Favourite Things. We have Our Happy Place. We often have some guests on there as well. Bit of retro, bit of modern day wrestling, bit of everything, really. Pretty lighthearted, pretty relaxed. Always a fun listen. I also have a new show I've been doing four editions of now. I'm planning the fifth one as we speak. And that is called Scene Your Video, in which I work my way through all, yes, that will be all, of the home video classic section of the WWE Network. As I record this, the last one I broke down in painstaking, and I do mean painstaking detail, was the Hulk Hogan Real American tape. So a real change of pace for me there. But watch <laughs> out for that. That drops at the start of each and every month on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. That was, I think that was one of my first videos. Oh, yeah. I'm getting in like 89, 90 time. That's the one with the Hogan training video. Yeah. With um Jake's music, which is cut out on the network. Of course uh, it is. <laughs> I, I think I think I might actually still have the VHS and the loft of uh, the X's. To replace my break the walls down. Oh, you need to track those down, Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Chris Lacey, we made it through. We did. Uh yeah. Um I don't know if I'm gonna be back in WCW anytime soon before the end, but you know. I have to be here for this fucker. And that's before knowing that Muta was there and this was the month when Lance Storm was Lance Storm. Um, but yeah, glad to, to have been here for the rant of cunt face. And uh, what else you got going on out there these days? So obviously I am the advocate of extreme uh, for the ECW brand on our wonderful podcast um, but also uh, show and talk tunes for all of your music needs um, sort of not as regular as used to be um, with working from home and all the other joys of this shit that we are living through at the moment um, it's a bit fucking hard to find the time to do it all when you know you sit at a computer all day in a room and then go should do a podcast in the same room that I'm sitting at the same computer staring at don't have as much motivation um but there are things to come because i have found some really good music just haven't had the motivation to share it yet um but you can find that at show and Tell tunes um which is on the itunes and the Podbeam and all the other places other than spotify and i always forget to remember this you can find this show on spotify every fucking one of them so, you know, if you ever wanted to hear what it was like back in the oldie days, back in 1993, when it was Bob's little baby and it all began, 
whole archives are on there. And speaking of 20 years ago podcasting, me and Yoli will be doing the second part of Wrestling Video Games Histoire for the timeline to present. Yes, do not judge us by the technical quality of some of those early shows. Uh, in only six years, uh, the recording capacity has grown by leaps and bounds to the layperson. So, but lots of great content nonetheless. And if it's anything like me, it'll take you about three episodes to understand Dell. But once you do, you're in for a treat. <laughs> oh, if, if you want some classic, go back to me and Dell doing AAA. Um, the... Oh, that's a goodie. Because you've got me with my level of swearing and Dell with his level of Scottish and swearing. And just going on about Mexican wrestling names, it's it, it audio gold. So that's it uh, for Rory McNamara, for Chris Lacey. I am Eric Landstrom. This has been the WCW volume of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast for July of 2000. And until next time, Or until we just say, we can't take this shit anymore. Goodbye.